Hey, everybody. Yes, that's right. It is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are staying safe in this. Do you know that 2020 is only like 41% complete? Can you, can you just picture it in your mind? This has been one hell of a year so far. My God. It has been... Uh, Mind-blowing. I mean, I said it was all going to come to a head this year. I said this last year, and boy, has it ever, and a half, come to a head this year. So, hi, everybody. Let's, you know, just take a minute or two to get acquainted in a civilized fashion before we dive into the analysis of what is going on in this crazy world we got going for us. And uh, how are you guys? Are you staying safe, my American friends? Hey, uh, let's... Uh, Aleph, hello Sam, hello Michael, Steve, Dylan, Ted, Nazreen, follower, and Daniel, Justin, James, Aaron, Gadebs, bless you, William Hasty, and uh, John, Corporal, Brian, Veritas, Joe, Control, Alt, Debug, hmm, I could have used you in my programming days, uh, Brian Young, nice to meet you, James, Gabriel, Mendoza, nice to meet you. Ashley Bishton, hello, Alexandria Octopus Cortez, hmm, sounds a little grabby, uh, and uh, hi, everybody, it's uh, really, really great to see you uh, this evening, and uh, I really do appreciate you dropping by, it is, of course, as always, a great honor, a great pleasure to be able to chat with you guys, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the answers, I am going to take my career, my social media presence, my life perhaps in my hands, and I'm just going to tell you <laughs> going to tell you the answers as to what is going on that people really can't see. And unfortunately, it is, of course, quite the plan that you don't see it. Tragic, sad, somewhat inevitable, but we are going to get into it. And I do want to get your questions, of course. I'd love to hear what's going on with you guys. Uh, just before we do start, curfew in Philadelphia is 6 p.m. Yeah, that's right. Hello from New Zealand, Nick. Hello, the stoner koala. Hello, Eric. And um, Jake says, Steph, I love you. God bless. Well, bless you two back, and thank you so much. I love you guys as well. And uh, as a black Muslim in America, I love you, Stefan. Thank you, DJ. I appreciate that. I return your love with alacrity. And uh, Owen says, please just notice me, Steph, send by. <laughs> sure. Montreal, ground zero for Quebec's pandemic. And you guys have some Antifa floating around, right? Some out, out in Vancouver, Antifa is doing their ugly things. The same group that when I was out there last year trying to give a speech, they, uh, I don't know if it was Antifa themselves, but some extreme leftists threatened the venue, vandalized a church, threatened a priest. Oh, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, well, who was better, the Beatles or the Stones? Well, the Beatles were better in the 80s, and the Stones are more relevant to the 2020s, the 2020s. So, uh, yeah, we will, uh, we will get into it. And you are going to leave this conversation uh, enlightened to the point where you're going to get a sunburn in your, in your frontal cortex. So... 
Yeah, the autopsy. Oh, have you guys been uh, been following this? Uh, so there was an original autopsy from Mr. Floyd, Mr. George Floyd. There was an original autopsy where they said it wasn't asphyxiation, it wasn't strangulation. And from what I've heard, the people who've informed me, who seem to know what they're talking about, um, asphyxiation is cutting off the uh, air and strangulation is cutting off the blood flow. And then there was another autopsy, which was commissioned by the family of uh, Mr. Floyd. I keep thinking of pink. It's really not good. And that came out that uh, the, the headline, you, gotta, you always got to dig in past the headline, right? So the headline was uh, this. This is from ABC News. The headline said, Independent autopsy finds George Floyd died of homicide by asphyxia. The examination was led by a former New York City medical examiner. And there's a bunch of summary and all of that, but basically he says, look, um, you, you can't tell. You can't tell asphyxiation um, because when you asphyxiate someone, right, you squish their neck, and then after you stop it a short while afterwards, you can't really tell anymore. So he based his finding uh, of asphyxia from looking at the video. And he says this openly. He says, hey, man, it's just my opinion. I, I couldn't tell anything medically, but it's just my opinion. I looked at the video, and it looked like asphyxia to me. So that's not, uh, that's not very valid. And, of course... Uh, he was found. Uh, I just want to make sure I get the actual facts here. Um, I don't want to speak off the cuff on something uh, important. So this is from uh, TMZ. Three letters that spell truth. <laughs> so um, the Hennepin County Medical Examiner Research Toxicology Findings. We were waiting for these. I was waiting for these all weekend, and they just came out today. Here's the funny thing, too. And listen, man, you can check this timeline. You want to know how correct I am? People were saying it was murder on Twitter today. And what did I say? I said, could be. Could also be he had a heart attack. Well, look at this. Look at this. George Floyd had fentanyl in his system when he was killed and died from a heart attack, according to... The medical examiner. Now, um, fentanyl is is pretty rough. Uh, it is uh, it is pretty rough stuff. It is very it's it's uh, fifty to hundred times more potent than morphine. Uh, it is a, a synthetic opioid pain reliever approved for treating severe pain, typically advanced cancer pain. Uh, here's another one that says uh, this is from the DEA fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that is 80 to 100 times stronger than morphine. Pharmaceutical fentanyl was developed for pain management treatment of cancer patients applied in a patch on the skin. It's also, of course, diverted for abuse. It is added to heroin to increase its potency or to be disguised as highly potent. Heroin, fentanyl, is 100 to, up to 100 times more potent than morphine and many times more potent than that of heroin and let's see here drug users typically don't know when their heroin is laced with fentanyl so when they inject the usual quantity of heroin they can inadvertently take a deadly dose of fentanyl they look of course identical and uh, it is absolutely uh, nasty incredibly dangerous stuff so 
So the Hennepin County Medical Examiner released its toxicology findings and say George died from cardiopulmonary arrest, which which complicated law enforcement's subdual restraint and neck compression of him. And that is critical, but the report also says this under, quote, how the injury occurred. It says George experienced a cardiopulmonary arrest while being restrained by law enforcement. He, had a, he suffered a heart attack while they were arresting him, and that complicated their efforts to subdue him. The report says George had fentanyl in his system, and they also found signs of recent methamphetamine use. So we've got one guy, the, the doctor for Floyd's family, who's mixed up, of course, with Crump, who said he just died from asphyxia, even though he couldn't tell from any direct medical examination, but just was glancing away at the video. And here we have fentanyl, me- uh, fentanyl, methamphetamine use, and a heart attack. And that's why America is burning. And for those of you who don't know, George Floyd had cocaine issues way back in the day. And so here we have a multi-decade drug abuser and drug addict, a violent man who, according to some reports I've seen, also starred in pornography videos, or at least a pornography video. And cocaine can weaken and damage the heart in ways that are really tough even to show up on standard medical exams. So a multi-decade drug abuser. And see, when they, uh, when the cops tried to get him out of the car, he wouldn't cooperate. I think they finally got him out of the car and they said, get in the cop car, right? You're under arrest, right? You're resisting arrest and, and so on, right? And he wouldn't get into the car. So they say, hey, man, I'm claustrophobic. Now, of course, he may have been having anxiety attacks, may have been having a panic attack, or that may, may be when his heart decided to uh, hit the road to Foreverland. And this is a terrible situation. It's a terrible, terrible situation. And, of course, the cops may still be responsible. Just, just to be clear, I don't know. This is, this is the whole purpose that is, is going to be figured out. But this guy, methamphetamine, fentanyl, heart attack, come on. This idea that it was just straight-up murder, cold-blooded, first-degree, cop-killing murder, I mean, it's, um, it's just terrible. Yeah, his death was ruled a, a homicide. Now, I'm not an expert on this, of course, right? So the legal definition of homicide, right? Uh, so homicide is broader in scope than murder, right? So this is from the legal dictionary. So, I, you know, if we're going to get into the, the technical terms, let's get into them, right? So, it's homicide may not be criminal, right? So, the killing of one human being by another human being is ruled a homicide. But that doesn't mean that it's criminal. And, of course, the typical example of something that is homicide but not criminal is self-defense. If you, if you kill a person who's threatening you with death or serious injury... 
then you, I mean, this is the defense for the McMichaels with regards to Ahmad Arbery, right? That uh, he grabbed uh, Travis McMichael's uh, shotgun and therefore Travis McMichael had to use force to defend himself and so on, right? So murder is different, right? So murder is the unlawful killing of a person with malice, a forethought, a premeditated intent to kill. So every time a human being is killed by another human being, that is a homicide. And so there's not a lot of categories that you can put into a death certificate, right? I mean, there's illness, uh, accident, old age, uh, natural causes, whatever it is, right? There's, There's a certain number of things that you can put in. And was it an accident? No, he didn't fall off a ladder and, and crack his head on the pavement, right? Was it old age or was it natural causes? Well, no. Was it a direct illness? Mm, that's, you know, the heart attack. You say, oh, but he had a heart attack while he was being arrested because he was so stressed. It's like, okay, so what, what does that mean? You can't arrest anyone because they might have a heart attack? I mean, I don't know how that could possibly work. And he didn't say, I'm having a heart attack. He said, I can't breathe. And... um According to the um, the lawyer, sorry, according to the medical examiner who was hired by Floyd's family, you can not be able to breathe, but still say that you're not able to breathe repeatedly. So that is, uh, and I don't know what the homicide means. That he did not die of natural causes. It was not an accident. It was not uh, an illness. He was killed by someone. Now. I don't know the level of fentanyl that he had in his system, and I don't think that's been released as yet, but if the fentanyl was laced, then maybe it was the drug dealer who killed him, and maybe it was the cop who killed him. But it seems like a tough case to make to me. Now, you could say, of course, well, once the guy's in the cat, he's in the um, care and custody of the cops, they're now responsible for his health and his welfare, but, I mean, the guy had a bum ticker. He had he had heart disease. Uh, he was uh, on fentanyl. The recent methamphetamine. I mean, he was he was a mess. And maybe 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 the cop is responsible, and that's something which we'll see played out at the court of law. There's a reason why he got third degree and manslaughter and not first degree, right? So he certainly. The cop was not, as far as I can see, the cop was not trying to kill him. The cop was not targeting him. There's a reason why George Floyd was on the road, like on the ground, rather than in the car, because he wouldn't get in the car. And then they have a problem. And they saw, of course, that he was on, he was experiencing medical distress. That's why they called the ambulance, which took about 10 minutes to arrive. So we'll get, I'm sorry to to be put on this to one side, but uh, the fact that it's called a homicide simply means that it's not entirely natural causes. And we'll see. But this is something that you're not going to see of a lot in the mainstream media. You're not going to see that George Floyd had coronary, uh, had, had heart disease, that fentanyl, uh, which is a wickedly, wildly, incredibly dangerous, powerful drug, that he had a multi-decade history of drug abuse and uh, uh, all of that. Uh, it's just, right? And and I just wanted to say a couple of things that really, of course, bother me about all this kind of stuff. So, 
people who say, well, he just, he, he was killed because of a, a $10 bill or a $20 bill. And that's not, that's not true. That's not the case. That's not reality. Because that's not the causality. I mean, that's not the way that the law works. It's not the way that the cops work. You get all of this, right? He died for a variety of reasons, some of which may have had something to do with the cops. Perfectly aware of that. And I'm, I'm happy to hear those cases. And that case will be put before. But as far as I've, I've been able to tell, and I have to look this up, believe it or not, on the Minnesota site, uh, the, the police site, uh, yeah, you're allowed to use neck, neck restraints. You're allowed to, uh, if you're in, in danger, if you're concerned, and people say, ah, oh, yes, well, he was on the ground and he was fading out and so on. Yeah, that absolutely should be examined by a court of law. I have no problem with that. That's, I'd like to know more. But this was not a man in his prime who had no health issues and he had a heart attack from what the coroner is saying the man had a heart attack. And cops can do some pretty mean things to you. They can beat you up. They can shoot you. They can uh, give you tickets. They can arrest you. They can throw you in the back of a car. But they can't give you a heart attack. That's not within their power. They don't have that magical ability to give you a heart attack. And so because of that, we will have to see what is going to happen, how it's going to play out. We are going to have to see. But this, he was hunted down like a dog, he was killed in the streets because racist cop, blah, 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 blah. That narrative, that narrative has completely fallen apart. That, let's at least be honest about that. That narrative has completely fallen apart. And maybe there's some culpability on the part of the cops that I don't quite understand. But the man had fentanyl, traces of methamphetamine, heart disease. He had a heart attack. I mean, this was not his day, man. This was not his day. And if he had, I mean, if he had not resisted arrest, and part of his resisting arrest might have had to do with the fact that his judgment was compromised by aforementioned fentanyl which is not known for giving people clear and lucid decision-making capacities. So if he hadn't resisted arrest, because, you know, there were two other black people in the car with him, I think a man and a woman, they were, they didn't have their faces on the ground, they didn't have officers on their back, they didn't have heart attacks. It's like with Rodney King. With Rodney King, there were two other men in the car, two other black men in the car with Rodney King in the 90s when he was screaming through uh, high as a kite uh, 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 neighborhoods, like uh, uh, suburban neighborhoods, before being apprehended by the cops. There were two other black men in the car with Rodney King, and they didn't get beaten up because they didn't psychotically try to resist and attack the cops. You attack the cops, you're going to get beat. And attacking the cops is bad enough as a whole. But attacking the cops... When you're a 48-year-old man with a bad heart and a history of heart-weakening, drug abuse is a very, very bad idea. Listen, when you get older, man, I mean, I assume the audience is pretty, pretty young out there. Like, good for you, man. Good for you. But I'll tell you this. When you get older, 
it's it's you slow down like you slow down i uh I had months of shoulder pain just from playing a couple of hard games of tennis. I never had that before in my life. And I, I know this is kind of ridiculous and hoity-toity crap with regards to what's going on with George Floyd. But uh, whew, it's bad stuff. It's bad stuff. Well, I don't think he attacked them, but I think he was resisting arrest. That's what I understand. And so somebody says, so if I drink a bunch of coffee and a cop puts his knee on my neck and I have a heart attack, your logic is that my coffee drinking caused my heart attack. We don't know the causality, right? We don't know the causality and we will find out about the causality as time goes along, right? A little more volume? Yeah, okay. We will find out about the causality. And that's part of what the examination is hopefully going to figure things out, right? That's what the examination is hopefully going to figure things out. All right. So let's, I think he was resisting arrest. Uh, well, no, you've got to see, you've watched the video. There's a video from a different angle wherein they're trying to get him out of the car and he's just not participating, right? You're a bleeding, you're a bleeding fool. You make conservatism look bad. I'm not a conservative. Would he have died by the pressure or on his back or on his neck if he wasn't high on drugs and didn't have a heart attack? Hmm. Don't know. And yeah, the combination, the, the, the conflation of coffee with fentanyl is uh, not particularly great, not particularly rational. No one deserves that type of treatment. This deserves thing, I got to tell you, I mean... That's, you know, this is not the channel for you if that's where your thinking is, because it's not thinking. You know, like, I, I don't mean to be all exclusionary, but, you know, like, real adults are trying to have intelligent and important conversations here about some very significant social issues. So if you're just like, well, no one deserves to be treated like that, that's, my, my daughter wouldn't say that. And she's 11. Right. I mean, because it deserves and be treated. And the man had agency. George Floyd had agency in the situation. George Floyd chose in the past to take drugs. He chose in the past to be part of a home invasion where he jammed a gun into a woman's abdomen and then ransacked her house for money and drugs. He chose to take methamphetamine. He chose to take fentanyl. He chose to resist arrest. So I don't know what it means to be treated like that. Like, like this isn't somebody just kicking a dog out of nowhere. This is, this is a complex dance of choice and consequences. And you could say, ah, yes, well, but he didn't choose because he was on fentanyl. It's like, so once you choose to take the drug, you're still responsible for the consequences. Like you don't get to walk away from a DUI hit and run and say, hey, man, but but officer, I'm not really responsible for driving badly because I was drunk as a skunk. So, yeah, if you're if you're just bleating away in this completely brain dead take of no one deserves to be treated that way. I mean, we're, we're all adults here. We're trying to figure out a complex situation and trying to cool the tits of everybody who's currently rioting. 
which means we got to deal with facts. We got to stay with what is real, what is what has agency. We've got to treat everyone as an adult. And so this, you know, no one deserves, and he was killed for by counterfeiting, and it's like he was killed for being black. And, I mean, come on. For every ten thousand violent criminals, for every ten thousand violent criminals that are arrested, three, if it's ten thousand violent black criminals who are arrested, three of them get killed by cops. Do you know what the number is per ten thousand of whites? Four. Three black, uh, black criminals, violent criminals, three black violent criminals per 10,000 violent criminals that are arrested or killed by cops. Four, that's more, <laughs> four of the whites in the same category are killed by cops. What happened to his pornographic career wealth? Wealth? Wasn't there uh, Mia? Oh, Let's remember this girl, anyone in high school with that name. And Mia, someone ever, Mia Khalifa, Mia Khalifa, she was talking about how she just didn't make any money from uh, her pornographic career. So, yeah, it doesn't seem to be a very big, uh, right. So, it, it may be that the cop is to blame. It may be that the police are to blame. I think it's going to be hard. There's no way this guy's going to get a fair or just or objective trial anymore. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because um, it's really tough to try and get a fair trial when billions of dollars of property damage hang in the balance. When a riot that is being engaged in by a huge number of people, that is a very, very tough situation to have a fair and objective trial in. Because everyone's sitting there thinking, okay, well... One guy can go to jail for five or ten years, or America can burn half to the ground again. It was really tough. Really tough. Police reform or accountability? Police reform or accountability? Okay, that's just a topic for another time, so I, I can't really speak to that with any particular... Uh, value at the moment. That's that's a whole other topic. And, you know, those, of course, if you've followed me for a while, you know that I am an anarchist. And so I am an advocate for a stateless society. And so this idea that we're going to sit there and say, ah, well, how are the police going to handle this in a productive and positive way? I mean, the, for the police, right, serve and protect is for the state. Like, they serve and protect the state. They serve and protect their masters. The police have zero duty to protect you. They have zero duty to show up and make sure that you're treated right. They have zero duty for any of that stuff. So I really, really just want to remind you about that, that the police, and, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He used to work in the security field, and he said, look, okay, let's let's start talking about the causes of the riots. So the causes of the riots, I, mean, I tell you, I, I, feel like, um, I feel like a goalie who failed, and that's not an easy feeling. So I have done over the past, I mean, I've been doing this show for like 15 years, right? So over the past, oh, it's been about 10 10 or 11 years, I've been trying to stop all of these race-baiting, blacks get hunted and killed by whites for racist pleasure narratives, right? 
And it's just, and of course, they peak in election years and all of that. So, I mean, one of my first big multi, well, million dollar, oh, sorry, million plus videos was George Martin uh, and, and uh, sorry, <laughs> George R.R. R. Martin, wrong guy. It was uh, Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, and then uh, Philando Castile and Mike Brown. And, uh, you know, this kind of went on and on. I did videos on Freddie Gray, on Jesse Smollett. Uh, and, and then, of course, I worked on Ahmaud Arbery. And now there is... George Floyd. So I have been unpacking and attempting to push back against this race war baiting narrative. I mean, it just feels like Groundhog Day just goes on and on and on, around and round and round. And of course, it's not just me, but I've certainly contributed and done quite a bit to help keep these situations from escalating to the kind of open hellscape that we see at the moment. I've done quite a bit to help out with that. And this one, this one got past me. But Okay, it didn't get past me. Like, I pushed back against it pretty hard. Of course, I've been suppressed. And if you ever want to see that, you could just go to YouTube and do a search for my name in the title bar, and there won't be any um, autofill. There won't be any auto suggestions for me. It's uh, it's terrible. It's hugely irresponsible. I have a, an account in good standing, and they're just shadow banning like crazy. But this one got past a lot of people. So there's a lot of people that I know who are in the alternative media movement, and they went full tilt boogie into the this is a plain racist murder narrative. Right? Boom. Straight up, racist murder. And I was disappointed, to be honest. I mean, I'm frank with you, right? I mean, it's the old thing that um, Aristotle says when he was criticizing Plato's theory of forms. He says, we, we love our friends, but we must love the truth more. For without the truth, we cannot actually have real friendships. And uh, I do love my friends. I disagree with some of my friends, of course, at times, and they disagree with me. But in this particular instance, I thought, so, I thought a lot of the people in the alternative media scene just went off on it's straight up murder. And they were wrong. And that's unusual. And I think that was one of the weaknesses that the left was looking for. So people say, well, how can there be riots when everyone agrees that this was a straight-up murder, right? Well, that's why, I think that's why there were riots, is that there wasn't enough pushback on the narrative. I think that's why... This was the one, because Ahmad Arbery didn't quite get them to where they wanted to get to, but they got what they wanted with George Floyd. They got everyone to line up and say, this is straight-up racist murder. And it's not. Maybe manslaughter. Maybe third degree. Maybe criminal negligence. It might be something. Or it might be that he got, he thought he was getting heroin and he got fentanyl, and it stopped his heart because he is a multi-decade cocaine abuser from what I've read. Or at least he was getting arrested for cocaine problems 20 years ago. So what happened? And, and, and so why? This is interesting. So why did people in the alternative media do that? Why did they, in a sense, go straight to the most extreme interpretation and justify the riots, in a sense, right? Or at least pave the way towards the riots. Why? Well, I think what happened was the 
police. Because normally conservatives and a lot of people in the alternative media are very pro-cop, right? You know, it's the old Saturday Night Live cartoon or, or, or um, skits, uh, you know, when I think Mike Myers was imitating Mick Jagger saying, you got, you got to stand up for the, cats, for the cats in blue, man. And so what happened was because of coronavirus, there were endless portrayals and pictures, of course, of the police arresting people for surfing or trying to arresting moms in front of their kids and dragging people off and not upholding the constitution. And so a lot of people were like, whoa, that's not good. The police are acting very badly. And they're not our buddies. And they're not, there were a couple of cops who said, no, I'm not going to do this because it's unconstitutional. But most of them, of course, were like, yup, you tell me to go arrest people. I'll go arrest people. And so the fact that the cops were enforcing the despotic will of a lot of Democrat governors, but some Republicans as well, the fact that the cops were just willing to march up and arrest people against the Constitution, a lot of people in the alternative media scene didn't feel so friendly towards the cops anymore. And... Then, of course, I mean, that was one of the differences between Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd was Ahmaud Arbery kind of got heated up before the cops started dragging everyone for touching a swing set on a playground, right? I mean, so a lot of people weren't feeling kindly disposed towards the cops. So then when George Floyd came along, people's frustration and anger towards the police that they saw hemming them in week after week, month after month after, it's just like, hey, man, we need to flatten the curve, it's just going to be two weeks of staying home, and then people are saying, yep, no, sorry, we're locking you up till we get a vaccine, and then we're going to inject it to you against your will, and, and, and people are like, okay, well, it's the cops who are going to enforce that. So that's bad. We don't want that. And I think that was a sequence that broke the thin blue line of alternative media criticism of what has turned out to be I mean, it's, I mean, I hate to sort of sound like a broken record, but it's what I predicted is what I said. It is more complicated. Guy had fentanyl, methamphetamine, history of cocaine use, heart attack, heart disease. It's complicated. And again, maybe the police officer is responsible. Maybe he'll be found guilty. But it's not what people rioted about at all. At all. And, at, and normally, if, even the people who would say, let's not rush to judgment, weren't even saying that. They were just straight up racist cop murder. Boom. So I think that's one of the most important aspects of all of this. And good job, China, right? Good job, China. You release this thing and... Next thing you know, everybody dislikes the cops and the next race-baiting narrative succeeds and America burns. And America burns. Yeah, no, it's very true, of course. Even if you're subscribed to me, you, it won't autofill my name in YouTube anymore. Just won't do it. Now, of course, what's happened is people have 
gone from being terrified if they step out of their door or reopen their small business, you know, seeing the cops go up and drag people who were trying to give a haircut to someone outdoors with masks on, drag them away, shit like that. I mean, that is, that is whack, yo. That is terrible, terrible stuff. And so we've got this double whammy now, right? So from the one extreme of a totalitarian lockdown for the productive members in society, people who are trying to keep their precious businesses alive. And I tell you, man, if you have a business, you grow that business, you invest in that business, you work nights and weekends, and you give up time with friends and family, and you give up hobbies, and you just grow that business because it's a fierce, beautiful thing that you want to keep alive. And then the Chinese commie virus comes along, and with the help of your governor and these anti-constitutional cops, they just step and piss all over the fire of your ambition and turn it into a cold ember of burning hatred. So then when you can't run a business because you're going to get arrested and you can't have more than five people in the same gathering and you can't have two cars in your driveway, well, then hundreds of thousands of people go out and riot. And the government's like, yeah, that's great. That's fine. Yeah, that's... Hey, if you want to build a business... Screw you, man. You're going to jail. You want to burn a business? Well, then, hey, man, riots are just the language of the unheard. You've got to give people space to vent. You can't build without going to jail. But you can set fire, loot, and tear down. And the government is, and the media is just like, good for you. Crazy. And conservatives are... You know, how, how, so Matt Walsh did a thread about how protesting during a pandemic was described when conservatives were doing it. Uh, it's racist because it might spread the virus to black people. Protesters don't deserve medical care. Protests are responsible for spreading the virus far and wide. Protesting is suicidal. Protesting is devastatingly worrisome. Uh, in, in here in Ontario, Premier Ford called the anti-lockdown protesters reckless, mind-bogglingly selfish, was a... Um, uh, was a, a place from Denver. Protesters don't care about lives. They are twisting the idea of liberty. They're like typhoid Mary. They're foolish, if not dangerous. Dangerous. They're worsening the crisis. Protests are risking your health. And see, that's when conservatives protest because they're being unjustly shut out of their own businesses, which are being allowed to expire like a hip-displaced raccoon from a truck in a hot Texas sun. That's when conservatives peacefully, peacefully protest. But when people who vote Democrat violently protest, well, it's uh, no justice, no peace. Got to hear these people out. They're expressing their just outrage about not having a 40-inch TV without having to pay for it, right? It's rough. It's rough. And people are waking up to it. And they're not happy. And, you know, really, who can blame them? Who can blame them at all? So, I don't know if you watched the speech tonight. And let's, let's talk about something else. But I don't think people are getting it all. I'm sure you guys get it. <laughs> I'm sure you guys get it. Oh, and before I forget, uh, well, I'll put it out later. And I'm sorry about what happened to Cassandra Fairbanks. It's terrifying. You know, Antifa just attacked her house. A kid was inside and just 
terrifying stuff. I'm sorry about all of that. Very sorry. It's terrifying. But um, I'm going to put out uh, probably tomorrow. I have a high quality version of my debate with rationality rules from yesterday, which was pretty good. It's pretty slimy in one spot, but you'll see that. <laughs> I'll put it out in the video. But anyway, uh, just look for that tomorrow. It's going to be pretty good. And if you do, of course, want to help out the show, which I'd really, really appreciate. It's kind of rough. Kind of rough out here. Um, not a lot of boon companions standing against the mob with me on this one. So if you could help me out, I'd really appreciate that. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. The linky link is below. And if you could help me out, I'd really, really, really appreciate that. But um, yeah, let's, so let's talk about Trump, right? Because a lot of the people too, they're getting real enraged at Trump. So I'm putting the ethics aside, right? There's all morality aside. We're just going to talk about what's called realpolitik. Politics being the art of the possible. And I'm just going to tell you straight up what's going on. Do I have any inside scoop? No, I don't. But I can think pretty well. And it's not that hard to figure out what's going on. So the first thing to understand is that the riots are generally hitting Democrat-held areas of America. If you don't, if you don't first see that, you know it's real hard to figure out what's been going on since then. Now, the Democrats have been enacting that we've been spying on Trump, Trump's family, Trump's employees, Trump supporters. They've been spying. Uh, the IRS was all over the Tea Party uh, back in the day under Lois Lerner. And, yeah, Obama and all the top people, all the top officials seem to have known about and approved of the spying on Trump. They have been working on a multi-year coup attempt called the Russian Hysteria, the Russian Hysteria Collusion Conspiracy Theory. They have arrested Trump's friends. They have threatened Trump's family. So if you don't sort of get that perspective... It's a little tough to sort of understand why, at least until today, there hasn't been a staggering amount of proactive action to get all of these problems solved in America, the rioting and so on, right? So first understand that. Why would he want to rush to the rescue of the Democrats who've been savaging him and his family year after year after year? Why would he want to rush and solve the problems that they simply refuse to solve. I mean, there's tons of examples of what looked like, to me, complete stand-down orders when the police are facing off against the protesters, largely in Democrat-controlled cities, states, and so on. And by Democrat, I mean the governor, the chief of police, the, the district attorney, you name it, right? So here's... The tough thing, when you are responding to a riot, a, a multi-day, maybe even multi-week riot, it's really tough to find the right time. Because if you do it too soon, you look like a tyrant. Everybody's like, oh, Pinochet. But you look like a tyrant and everybody goes screaming, goes crazy and so on. And you always got to remember, so I have to think about this. Trump, of course, has to think about it more. Uh, the media. The media is a factor in what you do, right? Because the media is infested with hard leftists and they just don't have any honor or any decency or anything like that. And so 
Trump has to sit there and say, okay, I don't know, if it's kind of soon and people think it's a just protest for their human rights and I send in the troops, you know, then it's Kent State, it's Birmingham, Alabama, when you've got dogs attacking blacks who are protesting and the media is going to find black mothers holding their wounded children's heads uh, in their hands and weeping and wailing and shaking their fists at the sky while... You know, like this, this, the media, it's going to be all over the place and it's just going to gin up more hostility, more hatred, more riots. And, you know, because when you send the National Guard in, when you send the troops in, stuff's going to go down. People are going to get hit. Bullets are going to fly. Some are not going to find their right mark. Some it's going to be accident and some of it's going to be staged. Right. So they'll be, I mean, for sure, the hard leftists in the riots will stage, you know, deception is 90% of war, right? So they will just stage stuff. Like they'll dress up as cops, they'll shoot people, they'll hand off pictures to the media, the media will flash them around the world, and then, you know, a month or two later when they realize it, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? As the old saying goes, the truth can go twice around the world. Sorry, the li a lie can go twice around the world while the truth is still getting its boots on, right? So if you decide to unleash the dogs of war against the protesters, too soon, A, you're a tyrant, and B, there's going to be massive negative PR for you. And I hate to sort of put it in that cold clinical sense like PR, but the propaganda machine against you, I mean, good Lord, Europe opened up its entire soft underbelly to massive migrant, from massive military-aged migrants because British women had estrogen epileptic attacks of hyperpathological altruism because they saw a drowned boy on a Turkish beach even though the father should not have put him on an overloaded boat because he wanted to get to Canada for health care, for dental care. You can get in trouble with the law for letting your kid ride a bike without a helmet, but, you know, if you put a kid on an overloaded boat because you want to get to Canada for free dental care, yeah, I'm sorry, Europe can't have any borders anymore, right? So you've got to deal with the, the female response as well. And it's not just female, it's also the feminist men and, you know, some men and so on, but generally more of that emotional reasoning comes out of the fairer sex, for better and for worse. And so you have to deal. Like everyone's seen that picture of, of Kent State, right? Kent State, there were communist student riots and order was restored under Reagan. And uh, yeah, some people got shot because that's what happens when you tangle with the state and you do massive looting and property crimes. And you know, you've seen that picture of the girl standing over the body and then you've got Neil Young warbling about all of the stuff in the same way that Peter Gabriel did with Stephen Biko. Doom, doom, tsh, doom, tsh. And so it would be a massive propaganda loss, a propaganda scar for Donald Trump to send the troops in too early because the media will just play endless shots of people cowering and running and getting shot and, and uh, the Asian provocateurs will, will set up fake uh, uh, things and, and it'll be a complete disaster for him. And why would he do that for the Democrats? Why would he take that bullet, so to speak, for the Democrats? Because they're not activating their police. Why would he send the National Guard in to save Democrats from their own malevolent incompetence when the Democrats have been trying to unseat his election for the past three and a half years? Like, it wouldn't make any sense. I mean, the man has some pride. And I think if you look deep down in your heart, well, you'd probably feel that 
you can at least understand why he would be making those decisions. Now, so there's a fulcrum, right? There's a tipping point. And the tipping point is quite important. So the tipping point is that if you go in too soon, then you're perceived to be a tyrant, right? But, you see, if you go in too late, then you're perceived as weak and ineffective and blah 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 right? So that is the sweet spot. If you go in too soon, you crush people as bad propaganda, and you're handing also a victory to the enemies, not just domestic, but also foreign, right? Because China is obviously exulting at all of this kind of stuff, as all the other enemies of America are, who have, I mean, China, even though it puts Uyghurs in concentration camps and uh, uh, has been uh, nailing blacks into their own apartment out of fear of coronavirus, uh, China is, of course, saying, well, you see, America is a very racist country. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's just they know the soft spot of America that has been engendered by uh, the sophists and the leftists and the academics and so on. So, yeah, he's, he can't go in too soon. Like, he just can't go in too soon. And... Yet if he goes in too late, that's a problem too, right? If he goes in too late, then too much damage has been done. And also citizens have started to take matters into their own hands and are shooting back on their own. And, and you're starting to get those sort of right-wing militias and so on. And so you got to get that sweet spot. And I tweeted today, before I even knew Trump was speaking, I tweeted that it's going to be over the next couple of days that things are going to get done. Because people have to be so appalled by this violence that they don't want to do it again, right? That's, that's kind of important, right? And so if you nip it in the bud before things get really bad, people are like, oh, we were thwarted, man. We, you know, we just couldn't get what we wanted to get done done. It was terrible. We could have done so much more. It would have been great. So you have to wait for people to get really, really, really sick of these riots and really appalled at these rioters. And I'll tell you something else that's kind of important, right? This is teaching people what it's like to live under Democrat governors, right? That's, that's what people are being, uh, they're realizing, hey, you can vote for all these Democrats and you're going to get, look, if you, they look over at the Republican states, the Republican regions, and they're like, yeah, those are pretty quiet, pretty nice. And I know it's a whole complicated cause and effect. And it's not just as simple as just go vote Republican and everything will be fine. Don't, I'm not a Republican. Don't, don't mistake me. But what's happening is, is the Democrats, the Democrat states, the Democrat cities, the Democrat regions are a hellscape of post-apocalyptic burning man from hell, Right. And what they're doing is they're looking and saying, wow, you know, the, the, the Republican side is pretty nice. So there's a very strong case to be made for Trump to say, yeah, let, let him suffer so that they get the consequences of voting Democrat, of voting for, you know, these far left, you know, got Keith Ellison holding up and grinning at the anarchist handbook, for God's sakes. I mean... I don't know. It's it's absolutely astonishing. So, also, of course, if you go in too early and the media is going to gym up all of this 
hysteria about force being used against protesters, of course, a lot of whom are black, the majority of whom are black, I think so, that's going to cause more riots. And then very quickly, things can spiral out of control. So you have to wait until people are sick of the riots and sick of the rioters and recognize that it's no longer about George Floyd, if it ever was really. It's now about just looting and mayhem and destruction and nihilism and theft and settling old scores and living wild and lawless and all that kind of stuff, right? So then what happens is there is that sweet spot and Trump announced that tonight and he's going after Antifa and that's going to be very interesting, right? It's going to be very interesting. If he goes after Antifa, under domestic security laws, designating them as a terrorist organization or facilitating that. And they get to open up. They get to open up Antifa like a pinata. I can see emails, phone records, texts, logs. They're going to see who Antifa has been communicating with and who they've been infiltrating and who's been propagandizing for them. And I'm telling you, man, a lot of media bros feeling a little nervous right now because they've been in touch with Antifa. It'll be interesting to see what the connections are between Antifa and Wikipedia, between Antifa and the mainstream media, between Antifa and academia. Because right now, the process has been for the last week that all of Trump's enemies are hysterically discrediting themselves in the eyes of all reasonably sane people. You've got academics tweeting out how to tear down national monuments. You've got lawyers uh, getting engaged in violent acts against police. You've got uh, celebrities who are from Chrissy Teigen to Justin Timberlake to others who are, hey, let's help bail out these <laughs> protesters, right? Because, I don't know, they think they're part of Martin, Martin Luther King Jr.'s crew or something like that, but... So academia is being discredited and academics hate Trump. Hollywood, the music industry, the media on that side of the fence is all being discredited through their process of throwing support behind these looters and, and thugs. I'm, of course, including Antifa. It's not all blacks. A lot of white people out there causing a lot of mayhem, a lot of problems. And so Democrats are being discredited. News reporters are being discredited. I mean, there was this woman from a far left, new, far left news website who got, it's a white woman, she just got beaten up by a bunch of black guys. Now, of course, she's the kind of person who would write slant, uh, hit pieces on anyone who talks about the prevalence of black crime. So it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Not even the gods can save you from the consequences of your terrible decisions, right? So the mainstream media, of course, has been telling everyone, oh, you know, people like Steph are the problem. You know, I got three pictures of myself on the, above the fold cover of the Sunday New York Times because I was radicalizing people into getting jobs and a girlfriend, right? So people were telling you, Wikipedia is telling you, and, and uh, I guess YouTube is somewhat telling you, and the mainstream media have telling you that people like me see a real, a real problem, you know, just real bad guys, and we're the real problem. Yeah, I kind of miss that. You see me out there leading any riots and burning down any churches and shredding any mainstream uh, mainstream art studios and uh, come on right i mean this is so there's an old saying which says never interrupt your enemy when they're in the process of making a mistake and so horrifying though it is it is the lowest body count and the lowest damage to society to let the riots continue to let 
those who are enabling and supporting the riots, from academia to Hollywood to the uh, news uh, to celebrities, all the people who are supporting it, all the people who are enabling it, let those people continue to discredit themselves. And let the people in these communities say, so if we vote for the left, this is what we're going to get. It's not only the least damaging strategy, it is also the best political strategy. Because once people are like, I can't take another day of this rioting. These rioters have got to go home. They've got to do something other than scream and jeer and drag people out of trucks and beat them senseless. Because if you're not happy when the cavalry come, it doesn't end well. If you don't hear those sirens and see those half tanks rolling down the street and breathe a sigh of relief that the shots are going to stop ringing out and the Hatfield and McCoy secret scores is going to stop being settled in the alley behind the dumpster of your house and you might be able to go back to your job at some point. <laughs> so funny. I mean, these, these crazy riots, I mean, at this, at this rate, America is going to achieve actual herd immunity by July. <laughs> Everybody's out there mixing it up so much, right? So it's perfectly comprehensible why Trump waited. It would have been like he's he is a stable genius. He is a very, very smart guy. And he's been navigating the public square for 40 plus years. He's been in the news, he's been in the newspapers, he's been famous, he's been this and he's been right. So of course Trump is going to wait until the right time, until people are getting rioting fatigue. And he's going to give the Democrat governors every opportunity to do the right thing and restore peace to their communities and protect their citizens. But he sure as hell is not going to be out there ordering people to shoot a black youth because the Democrats won't do their job. Why would he take that rap for the Democrats who've been hounding him and harassing him and arresting his friends and scaring his family and undermining his presidency and threatening him six ways from Sunday? Impeaching him, right? So... Come on. I mean, I just, I'm not any kind of super smart guy when it comes to political analysis or anything like that, but that's, that's pretty clear. So yeah, there are going to be curfews and people are going to breathe a sigh of relief. And the whole social isolation, you got to stay home, coronavirus narrative has been completely shattered. And it turns out, of course, that the media was just lying about all that shit too. They don't care about Social distancing, they don't care about gatherings of people. They don't care about any of that. They only care about it when conservatives are trying to get to work. They're praising and cheering it now. So the whole coronavirus narrative has just been shattered. The virtue of the media has been shattered. The competence of Democrat governors and police chiefs has been shattered. And the gunpowder trails that lead from the nihilistic, sadistic hellscape of the far-left gangs, that gunpowder line is going to lead to some pretty surprising and powerful places. And people are going to get into some serious trouble for amplifying and supporting what is going to be designated as a terrorist group. So I just hope that you guys understand 
all of this. Fighting the police while black should not be a death sentence, but it could get you killed. Well, no, but more whites get killed than blacks when it comes to the arrest of violent criminals. So, just doesn't answer, doesn't answer any, any particular questions, right? So, uh, the Insurrection Act of 1807 is amended in 2006. The president may employ the armed forces, including the National Guard in federal service, to suppress in a state any insurrection, domestic violence, and so on. So, yep. Um, Kilat has written uh, an article, It's Not Your Imagination, the journalists writing about Antifa are often their cheerleaders. Well, of course. Of course they are. And all the people who were warning everyone about the far left we're all vindicated we're all vindicated and it's life man the suffering increases until people learn it's like life the suffering increases until people learn and uh, i'll put some notes to this there's an article from the chicago tribune that uh, over the um it's rare but there have been 12 times that a U.S. president has called in the military domestically, right? Uh, integration, Selma Montgomery Civil Rights March, Detroit riots in 1967. Look at all the progress we've had in the last 52 years, right? 53 years. Chicago riots following the assassination of MLK Jr., Washington riots following King's murder, Baltimore had the same thing, New York City postal strike, Looting after Hurricane Hugo in 1989, riots after the Rodney King. Verdict, six days of rioting, more than 60 people were killed, more than 2,000 people were injured, but it was, of course, local to... And that, that was a total media. That was a total media. The Rodney King riots, billions of dollars of damage, 60 people murdered, 2,000 or 60 people killed, more than 2,000 people injured. Um, six days of rioting, entirely media-generated uh, hysteria uh, because they didn't show all the lead-up they didn't show Rodney King attacking the police. Uh, all they showed was the police attacking Rodney King. And um, yeah, they're just uh, absolutely vile. They, I mean, they, they get people killed. They got 60 people killed straight in, straight up. So, okay, so that's sort of very briefly the general lay of the land when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I wanted to tell you basically the reason why it's occurring. All right. And, oh, strong supporter from Australia. <laughs> G'day. Very nice, to, very nice to meet you. Ha, 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 boot-looking Steph. Well, you know, everybody, uh, everybody's got an opinion about how I should be more courageous, but those people are generally anonymous. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, if you really want to show me all of the courage that you feel that I should be, for, lead the way, man, lead the way. I've taken on more dangerous, volatile hellish topics than just about anybody else that I, I I have ever seen. So anyway, he told them he could not breathe. Yes, that that is correct. And have you ever spoken to a cop about what it's like to arrest people? Because all you hear is, I can't breathe. Ow, it hurts. No, that's too painful. No, these cuffs are too tight. No, this, that's all you hear. So Hindsight, 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 a few, right? Yeah, safe behind a keyboard. Yeah, you know, there's a thing too. Like, I mean, when I went out last year, 
last September, it's like right before coronavirus, right? So I went out last September to Hong Kong to cover the protests. And I went down there with John Detroit, who was uh, one of the half of the scooter um, crew that uh, put out Hoaxed, hoaxedmovie.com. You should really check it out. And do I play golf? <laughs> no, I don't play golf. It's pretty pricey. And uh, I don't like a game where it all comes down to like 30 wax in five hours or 40 wax in five hours. Uh, I like, uh, <laughs> think of me as a teenager. Anyway, but um, no, I don't, uh, I don't play golf. Um, I do play mini golf with my daughter, but that's about it. Um, yeah, the bricks, yeah, a lot of bricks being handed out. Yeah, a lot of Antifa out there arming up uh, the, um, the low-brain uh, rioters of, of every race, uh, just out there ginning things up. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they all want to destroy. They want to just, uh, they just want to watch the world burn. They're a bunch of jokers, so to speak, right? So, play disc golf. It's free. Yeah, I guess so. Steph is way more courageous than Tim Pool, <laughs> because you can see my forehead. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, all right, so listen, let's let's get into uh, what is the purpose of Antifa? Well, they want to impose a communist dictatorship on America. And, and it's not just going to be America, right? Antifa is incredibly strong in Germany. Uh, Antifa, even in Montreal here in Canada, they're acting up. Uh, Antifa is very strong in France. And so, yeah, Antifa, they, they are the military arm of the Communist Party. That's They were invented as they call themselves anti-fascists, right? They are the military arm of the communist party of the communist movement and so yeah they are uh, of course they're a terrorist organization because see this is what people don't understand if they're rioting because or if people are protesting because whatever whatever right they want uh, some sort of reform or some sort of change or some sort of magic that that changes crime rates or something okay that's one thing but the moment you say and if they're just looting that's another thing right they're just looting and stealing stuff then that's theft or whatever but if you are committing violence for political purposes, then that's straight up terrorism. And so all of these people who were like, yeah, but these rioters, they just want X, Y, and Z politically. It's like, dude, you're not helping them. Because if you're saying that the rioters are beating people up, are killing cops, are setting fire to churches because they have political goals, you've just instantly transferred them into the category called terrorism because terrorism is the use of violence for a political purpose, right? Not just because some guy slept with your wife or not because the drug dealer gave you bad drugs or not because you hate that guy. But if it's got political purpose, you're straight up terrorism, right? So, yeah, wouldn't it be amazing? Yeah, maybe, maybe. All right. Oh, yeah, no, it's, this is a civil war. I mean, it's not, let's, not be, let's not be around the bush. It's a straight up civil war, for sure, because this is um, uh, pretty pretty well organized. I mean... A lot of international financiers, Soros and others, have poured a lot of money into uh, political movements in the U.S. with the sole aim of destabilizing. And I said this in, in I've been saying this for many, many, many years. Uh, it was in a presentation I did, I don't know, six or seven years ago, that in the, I think it was 1922, 1923, the Communist International said that they were going to side with the blacks and foment racial division in America in order to overthrow the republic. So, yeah, I mean, it uh, took about a century and, and there you are. Strong love from Nigeria. Mwah. Love back to you, my friend. Love back to you. Um, Tim Pool has taken minuscule doses of red pill for years to no effect. He's now built up an immunity. Well, no, look, see, I like Tim again. I know he supported Bernie Sanders, who's a communist, so I'm not a big fan of any of that stuff. He's got, man's got charisma, and he's got some courage for sure. But um, 
if you don't have access to philosophy, you just don't have access to the consistency that this show provides. I mean, it's, I'll just be straight up. And so, sorry, I forgot to finish my Hong Kong story. So I was out in Hong Kong in September. I was marching with the protesters. I interviewed uh, Martin Lee, the writer of the Constitution, who later got arrested. You can find this at uh, my website, freedomain.com. Under documentaries, there's three documentaries. One is a series. There's one on Poland. Uh, that sort of got me into a lot of trouble because I said, hey, I'm safe in a mostly white country. And it turned out I was safe in a mostly East Asian country called Hong Kong. So... Just, just a fact. Right? It's just a basic fact, whether you like it or not. But um, uh, so, yeah, there's one on uh, Poland, there's one on uh, California, and uh, I did one on Hong Kong that um, really would like, to, I'd like to get some more views, but it's been heavily suppressed uh, for reasons that you can completely understand when you watch it. One of the most suppressed documentaries uh, in the world, really. But um, I was out there marching with them. We faced down the uh, stormtroopers of uh, uh, of the government, uh, I took a whole bunch of tear gas to the face and uh, had to sprint to freedom and and uh, escape the closing net of the police. It was all very exciting and 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 cool stuff. But they've been marching there, hundreds of thousands strong for over a year, no looting, no violence, no setting fire to things, no right. I mean, there's occasional bits of violence, but it's really hard to tell because, of course, the police are in there. And I talked to people who'd seen it happen. The police are in there causing violence to discredit the movement and so on. But that's the difference, right? That's the difference, that you can have all of these marches for political purposes without all of this uh, feral stuff, right? So, all right. But, of course, they're fighting against communism, so that's a different matter. All right. I don't buy Alex Jones supplements. Uh, no. All right. Uh, do you guys want to have any, any comments or questions before I get into all of this? Is Antifa aware that if America is overthrown, that their elimination will be the overthrow as number one priority? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Everybody who gets, uh, everybody who's part of the revolution gets gets killed. Absolutely. There's no question. It's a suicidal thing. But, and I'll tell you what motivates them. Do you think Trump will lay some blame on China? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, left a question on Discord. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, if you guys want to join into our community there, it's a really, really great community. Uh, it's uh, pay to play, so it's uh, troll free, at least so far. And um, it's like three bucks a month if you want. You can go to subscribestar.com forward slash free domain, subscribestar.com forward slash free domain, or just freedomain.com forward slash donate. And um, you, can, you can join in there. And we have, we have a lot of fun over there. Uh, my daughter actually made some quizzes. We had a quiz night and all that. It's really, uh, it's really a lot of fun. And if you like Minecraft, boy, they've really got something going on the Minecraft server that is really, really kind of cool. Uh, should Trump's responses to the riots be martial law? I hate to be annoying, but I'm not sure what you mean by should. It depends what game you're after, what you want to, what you want to do, what you want to achieve. So if you're going to say that the only thing that Trump should do is declare martial law and suppress the riots that way, I would say that is not a good strategy. Not a good strategy at all. So I am here. I'm sorry. Let me just leave a note here. Uh, sorry. It was on the other screen. Uh, ah, <laughs> this is Fraser Crane. I'm listening. Uh, I'm listening. You guys get to hear exactly how fast I type, right? 
Yeah, there is some Chinese uh, infiltration for sure. I mean, China is everywhere. Uh, and um, I can't remember who posted it, but there was somebody on Twitter who was posting that uh, out front of the White House, somebody was saying, quick, get away, hide uh, in Mandarin, right? So, you know, that's uh, right. So uh, I should not be ashamed of Alex Jones. I'm not ashamed of Alex Jones. I enjoyed my conversation with him. He's a bit of a wild bull to ride in a conversation, but it was always stimulating. Um, okay, a- a- adding this again, I've noticed, this is somebody from Discord, I've noticed that many media channels and even the Trump administration have been referring to Antifa as anarchist group as opposed to a communist group. I understand the reasoning for the media doing this, but why would the administration not want to blame these riots on the left into the election? And what potential PR maneuvers are now necessary for the real anarchists? Yeah, you know, it does bother me. Of course it bothers me, right? I mean, that um, the... Uh, the word anarchist is, is being poisoned. I mean, anarchist is without rulers. Uh, it doesn't mean without rules. It's a voluntary stateless society. Anarchy is to the state as freedom, the free market is to slavery, right? So, what, yeah, why do they not refer to it as a communist group? I think my guess would be that, see, the communists did a wonderful job, a terrifyingly wonderful job of discrediting McCarthy, right, to the point where I think it was... Uh, People who should know better, even like Ted Cruz, were referring to things like McCarthyism. We don't want McCarthyism. And so I do think that they've done such a good job that if you start referring to groups as communists that people don't really get are communists and the media is going to immediately stuff the McCarthy label on you, that probably is my guess, that he probably doesn't want to fight every, um, every front at the same time. So... I mean, the media is allergic to facts, right? So the moment you say anything that's true, the media just goes completely mental, right? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Frida Bain, I genuinely hope to change your mind. I believe the rioting mob is the rod used to herd the tax cattle back to the state. After seeing police show up in tanks to shut down barbershops, we were getting skeptical of state power. The media, aka government, let the inflammatory videos fly to build the boogeyman that will scare us back to an addiction to their violent monopoly. We need to make sure and not fall for it. Don't be herded. The cries for police to put down the riots are a contradiction in that we appeal to the institution that created the problem to solve the problem. It doesn't matter that the government's name is Trump at the moment. Trump's delay makes sense in this context. His escalation will give him the hero's praise. We all, we know all men are susceptible to craving. That's a very, very good point. It's a very, very interesting argument. Anyone to the left of me is a communist. Yeah, see, Brandon, that's just stupid stuff. Like... Please, please, like, if this is your contribution, you know, the upper and lowercase stuff, and I don't know, I just, I probably get a little bit tired and annoyed at this kind of just brain-dead, dumb fuckery of trolliness. It's just stupid. Like, maybe you see the me is communist. Antifa is openly communist. They refer to themselves. Come on, man. They're anarcho-communists. They're like, this is not, I don't know. It's just stupid stuff. It's just stupid stuff. Uh, yeah, nine minutes with a knee on your neck isn't going to affect anything, is it? And again, just stupid stuff. Like, you just got to think, try and think. Like, you, you're you're above the clouds here. Like, we are on Olympus here. Like, we are high up in the rarefied air of significant thoughts. So you got to up your game. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to play baseball blindfolded and you're just looking ridiculous, right? Uh, first of all, we don't know how much pressure of the knee was on his neck. Uh, we don't, I mean, we don't know... Uh, how much uh, his breathing may have been, uh, uh, according to the coroner, it was not 
asphyxiation. It was not strangulation, so blood flow apparently was there, and um, uh, there was no damage to the neck. And uh, even the uh, even the coroner that um, or the medical examiner that was hired by George Floyd's family did not find any indication of neck trauma because he said, "I can only say it's asphyxia because I watched the video and it looks that way to me." So I don't know. Just please, just try not to be stupid. It matters what you say. Like, Jay, it it really matters what you say. You are part of the human community, and everything that you put into the human community has significant effects. And so you may feel like you're just typing and and being all kinds of clever and sarcastic and tween girly shit, right? But I'm telling you, it fucking matters what you say. It matters what you say. People live or die based upon what you type. Society lives or dies. Civilization stays or burns based upon what you put into the fucking mix. Do you understand that? Do you get that? You matter. You're not just a voice screaming into a wind tunnel that no one can hear. You are putting straws on the camel's back that can break everything that we treasure. Stop being stupid. Stop it. Really. Think. Reason. Put out arguments. Don't just be stupid and sarcastic and useless. Worse than useless. You are getting people hurt. You matter. What you say matters. We live or die based upon your words, your thoughts, your breath, your comments, your participation. Do you like having a food supply? Hey, are you a big fan of electricity? Do you like having water? then stop saying stupid shit that has people go out and set fire to stuff, okay? Please, I'm begging you. Because if it was only harming you, it'd be like, yeah, you really shouldn't. But for better or for worse, we're all in this shit together. So fucking stop being stupid, people, please. And if you, if you can't come up with anything intelligent, just shut up. Just shut up. I don't go to physics conferences and interfere with what the hell they're doing. I don't go and armpit tickle surgeons when they're involved in separating co-joined twins, Ben Carson style. I just don't go and do that stuff because I don't know how to be a surgeon. I don't know how to be a physicist. So I shut the hell up and let the experts talk without interfering, okay? Find something you're good at, be smart about it, contribute there. Because you're only detracting from this. An anarcho-communist doesn't mean anything. How do we find your Discord? So uh, you go to freedomain.com forward slash donate. There's a subscribe star link. You sign up there and you will get a Discord link. So, uh, Let's see here. Uh, I've had this question on my mind for weeks. In your Vosh debate, you said past circumstances don't explain anything. It rubbed me the wrong way. Did you misspeak and say everything, not anything? Well, I believe in free will. So past circumstances, what do they explain? What does it mean to say I'm a product of my circumstances? I'm a product of history. Bullshit is what remains when history wins and you don't think for yourself, not talking to you as a listener. But look, It's all about what you choose. It's all about what you focus on. It's all about who you listen to. It's all about who you surround yourself with. That's what matters in this life. 
Fuck history. Fuck circumstances. I was born in a single mother household. My mom's been on welfare for close to half a century. I've been paying my own bills since I was 15. I got my first job when I was 10. Do you think there's anything in my history that laid any kind of train tracks to me becoming an entrepreneur, to me founding and running a software company that grew to multi-million dollar sales, founding the biggest philosophy show in the world, traveling the world, giving speeches, facing down terrorists, speaking at the European Union, giving a speech to 30,000 people online at the next web conference. Do you think anything in my circumstances, in my origin, gave any kind of dominoes that had me sitting here talking to you tonight in this incredibly elevated and powerful fashion. And I mean this in the conversation, not just me, right? So fuck history. It's that old Everlast song where you end usually depends on where you start. Bullshit. Bullshit. There aren't any dominoes that are just falling down and pushing you helplessly towards some inevitability. You grab those fucking reins and you make that horse of your identity go wherever the hell you want it to go. You feed it and you nurture it and you rub its legs when they get sore and you just ride that son of a bitch to where the hell you want to go. And fuck history, fuck circumstances. You could look at my history, where I started, and you could say, my God, this guy's raised by a single mother who's paranoid, who's violent, very violent, who is repeatedly institutionalized. He's stuck at home. He's just trying to find a way to struggle, to find a way to survive. Where would you expect that to take me? You look at just that kind of history. Single mom, no money, facing eviction on a continual basis, hungry throughout half my childhood, bad food, little health care, institutionalized mother. You look at that and you tell me how that is any fucking causality as to where I am now. 700 million views and downloads of philosophy. <laughs> philosophy. I've brought, I'm like Dr. Frankenstein, except the monster is beautiful. Shocked philosophy back to life. You know, we've got this crisis in the West, whole series of massive crises. We pay hundreds of millions of dollars to professional philosophers in academia. The fuck do we ever call them? Holy shit, we got riots. We better get the philosophers in here to tell us what the hell the problem is. Now, how do past circumstances explain me? If all you knew were the first 15 years of my life, I didn't do hugely well in school. I was too busy, I had three jobs to pay the rent, <laughs> right? Mediocre student, crazy, violent, dangerous, paranoid, institutionalized, mentally ill mother. Yanked from place to place, moving from place to place. I 
What would you predict about how I would end up? Would you predict, oh yeah, this guy's going to do great things with his life. He's going to have a really joyful, happy, stable marriage. He's going to promote the cause of good mental hygiene, good mental health, reason, evidence, virtue, anti-spanking, anti-violence, anti-circumcision, and he's going to be a great dad as well. Would you predict that? Based upon where I started? you got to resist the dominoes, man. Everybody's trying to pile these dominoes onto you and have you be defined by what the hell happened to you in the past. But that's just giving the control of your sovereign will and your sovereign consciousness to accidents and fools and circumstance, the environment. Mm-mm-mm, don't let it happen, my friends. Dodge the dominoes. Do not let... You know what the dominoes are? The dominoes are fucking gravestones. That's what the dominoes are. Oh, they're just falling down. You're black, you can't make it. You're white, you're a racist. You're American, you stole the native's land. You're like, eh. Oh, they're just dominoes, dominoes. They're just trying to make you feel like they want you to feel. Dodge the dominoes, man. That's free will. There's nothing about you that utterly depends on history. And there's nothing about tomorrow that is blindly predicted by what happened yesterday or today. You can choose to listen to me and what I'm telling you. I've built an amazing life. I have built an amazing life with your help, with your participation. I have built an amazing life of love and beauty and fun and meaning and value and truth and honor and integrity and virtue. We together have built the oft-fabled shining city on the hill. I mean, it's a digital hill, but it's shining. And I get emails about people who say, I stopped hitting my kids, I didn't circumcise my kids, I got out of abusive relationships, I've now fallen in love. I decided to have children because of you. These are... Meteor strikes of godly rain that land on the world and flower into glorious lives. And why have I been able to achieve this? Partly because of you, and partly because I said, fuck the past. I will not let the impoverished, violent, insane soil of my upbringing, choose which fucking direction I grow. I'm like a plant who can <laughs> pull up its legs and walk. I'm the dancing tree. I'm the all singing, all dancing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what that means. That's what that means. So, okay, I want to get to you. Uh, we got time, right? We're not in any kind of rush. Let's do. Let's do this. Let's talk about causality. Okay. This is where... Uh, this is where you and I may part ways. I will, um, I will tell you straight up. This is where you and I may part ways. So maybe we will, maybe we won't. But you won't be parting ways with me. You'll just be parting ways with the truth. All right? So, um, look at that. Qu quite a crowd out there tonight. Here, let me show you my... Okay, I know I'm, uh, I'm not on Twitch. I'm not going to show you a nip. Or am I? Let's find out. Let's find out. 
so communism arose in the 19th century at the same time as the free market. And it really was in response to the free market. There is a great challenge in the world that is kind of existential. And the challenge is this. We are the most important things to ourselves, but generally we don't mean shit to the world. I mean, as a whole, right? And I, I say this to myself as well. I mean, lots, I mean, vast majority of people in the world don't have any clue who I am, especially if they're trying to search for me on YouTube. And, you know, I may be one of the more prominent people in this whole conversation, but your, your needs, your dreams, your desires, your wants, they're all very vivid and very, very important to you, but the world doesn't care. Now, your parents should care, of course, right? And your parents should matter and, and all of that. And you should get your fill of parental attention when you're little, right? But you don't, usually. You don't. You grow up uh, either abused or neglected or isolated or you get thrown into the horrors of government schools and daycares and, and you just, you don't get filled up emotionally in the way that you should. And so you, you get this emptiness a lot of times. And then what happens is there are these giants in the world that you only really see in the free market. So before the free market, the giants in the world were the kings and the popes and the nobility and the, the priests maybe and so on. And so there were people of vastly greater statute and stature than you. And wh why were they there? Why, why, did they why did the king have so much power? Why was the aristocracy there? Why were the priests able to have so much authority and power? Well, the answer to that was God put them there, you see. God did it. God, it was called the divine right of kings. That God puts the pope in charge of Christendom. That God puts the king in charge of the country. That God puts the earl, the duke, the lord in charge of the peasantry. And it was called Divine Right of Kings. It was called the social body, uh, the Corpus Christi, so to speak, that the, the king was the brain and the priests were the soul and the peasants were the hands. And, like, how did you explain the vast disparities in human potential and existence in the past when it was political? Well, God explained it, right? Now... There were other things, too, which was much more brute force. When you thought, think about most of human history, slavery, were, you know, rape was, the, was the, um, the right of the warrior, and, and you would enslave them. And it's like, well, why are you the slave? Well, you lost the battle. And when you get countries and things get bigger, it gets tougher to maintain that, right? So politically, divisions began to collapse. And, and one of the things that, there's a reason why everybody fought so much against the sun-centered version of the solar system, right? So what happened was when Earth was the center of the solar system, it lent real credence to the idea that you should be ruled over by kings and priests because Earth was the center of the universe, the sun's wheeled around you like an inverted bowl of colander with light on the other side, and it all made sense. Now, when you shifted 
the center of the universe to the sun and then to no center of the universe, it's really hard to sustain a belief in the aristocracy when something as foundational as the earth being the center of the universe vanishes and the whole belief system begins to undermine and collapse. And this, of course, happened after the great, uh, the, the great plague of the Black Death, which also came from China, wherein the priests died the most and uh, it was just uh, brutal. And, of course, because there was such uh, a um, depopulation in Europe, the remaining serfs had, were in a pretty good bargaining position. They could begin to bargain and actually control their own land. and they, they had mobility so they could move to whoever would offer them the best conditions and all that kind of stuff, Right. So you had political differences that were huge throughout most of human history, but they were explained away by divinity, by God, by God. Now, the free market comes well. So very, very briefly, there were 300 years of religious warfare in general throughout Europe because every denomination that split off from Catholicism tried to gain power of the state so it could impose its own religion on everyone else, right? The Calvinists, the Semangalians, the Anabaptists, the Lutherans, the Protestants, you name it. And then after 400 years of everybody trying to kill each other to gain control of the state, to impose their view of religion and have not somebody else's view of religion be imposed upon them, they're like, oh, we're to peel this apart. We're going to separate church and state now. This, this is really bad. <laughs> this is terrible. Terrible. We've got to separate church and state. Now, the separation of church and state allowed for more equal rights because you couldn't use divinity to justify such vastly unequal political power as that between the serf and the king. And this is when you get to begin the idea of equality under the law, limited government. And But see, then what happened was instead of political inequality sustained by God, you got economic inequality sustained by the market. Because meritocracy is everywhere. And it's nowhere more pronounced and more evident than in the market. Because the market is kind of a, I mean, it's a tumble-dry mechanism, man. The classes just revolve. Thomas Sowell has done some great work on this, mapping out the statistics of rags to riches to rags, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. First generation works hard. Makes a lot of money. Second generation pisses it all away. And third generation curses the second generation. This was my grandfather. Do you know why I'm here? <laughs> well, that's a big question, right? Why I'm here is because my grandfather drank and pissed away all the money in the land that we had in Ireland as aristocrats. <laughs> I mean, it's wild. My father died and he left this biography. Online, I mean, I knew some of it and all of that, and but that's why I'm here, because we were aristocrats and then one bad seed came along and burned up all the family wealth and used his last bucks to get my dad and his sisters educated. And uh, that's why I'm, uh, I mean, I'd certainly be somewhere else, or maybe not, I wouldn't be here at all, right? But anyway. So... Meritocracy in the free market is it's staggering. I mean, look, come on, look at look at your bank account. Look at the bank account of Jeff Bezos. Now, I get it's not a total free market. He's got money with the CIA contract, six hundred million bucks, and you know he's got IP and he's got subsidies from the post office. I get all of that, but 
come on. I mean, it's still a pretty free market. I mean, we're talking, aren't we? So there's a meritocracy in the free market that people can't process very well. I've talked about this before, the price is law, right? Uh, just real brief, because I know we got a lot of new listeners tonight. And hi, thanks for coming by. It's real, real great pleasure. Really, really great pleasure to chat with you guys. But people are insanely productive. Some people are insanely productive. I mean, think of all the people in the music industry. How many people can fill a stadium? Maybe 50 bands, maybe 100 bands. Think of the millions and millions of people in the music industry. Think of all the people who want to become actors. I wanted to become an actor. went to the National Theater School and all of that, and I found out I had way too many words of my own to spend my life as a Geppetto sock puppet to somebody else's leftist lunacy. But think of all the people who want to become actors. How many people end up as movie stars? Maybe 50, maybe 100, out of millions and millions of people, right? It's crazy. Some people are just so insanely productive and insanely valuable in the free market that we can't process it because they're not like way taller than we are. (laughs) So before, inequality was explained away by God. God placed the king and the priest in charge of you and this was your lot and it didn't really matter because your kingdom was in heaven and the meek shall inherit the earth and blah, 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 right? So we can't fathom, we can't process how some people are so staggeringly wealthy and staggeringly productive. You know, as I said before, you get, you get a company of 10,000 people, 100 of those people produce half the value. 100 out of 10,000. It's the square root of any group in a meritocracy produces half the value. You've got nine people, three of them produce half the value got 16 people, four of them produce half the value. you got 10,000 people, 100 of them produce half the value. Now, of that 10, oh, sorry, if that 110 produced 25% of the value of the entire country, of the entire company, that of 10,000 people, you've got 10 people producing 25% of the value. And that's insane. Like, it's, it's staggering. And you can see this in social media. You can see this in you know, whatever, right? SSS Sniper Wolf. This is a tour of her house. You know, it's just like... (laughs) Button, button, button. There you go. So, how do we explain this? How do we even comprehend how productive some people are? I mean, Freddie Mercury sitting in a bathtub in Munich, I think it was. And he's like, dun, 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 this thing, call love, well, I just can't handle. Hey, that would be a great song. And he writes down a crazy little thing called love. <laughs> and he makes a bazillion dollars. Now, of course, he'd been working at it for a long time. And, you know, he was into music. Uh, I knew um, a friend of a friend. No, it was a girl I dated, knew the family that Freddie Mercury, whose original name was Farouk Bulsara, uh, who was a Zoroastrian. I think from Zanzibar or something, but uh, they had to flee a a Muslim takeover. He ended up in England. And he used to just sing away in the the bathroom all the time. He'd practice his singing and and practice his songwriting. And anyway, so, I mean, it doesn't come out of nowhere, but there's lots of people who practice a lot. You know, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000. There's lots of people who practice a lot. 
you know, it doesn't matter how much I practice singing. I ain't going to sound like, like Freddie Mercury. It's not going to happen. You don't have the physical voice, right? So there's this great question. Why are some people so bloody rich? Why do some people get $100 billion and you or others or my, I mean, my first job, I got paid, my, my first job that I was getting paid, $2.45 an hour. But that's when $2.45 an hour could buy you, well, not that much, frankly, <laughs> right? So how do we understand how, how can we explain this incredible inequality for people who kind of look like us? It'd be one thing, you know, the king at least had his accoutrement, right? The king had his crown and his ermine cloak and his distended gout-filled legs. <laughs> like he had the whole ceremony and, and the pope had the, the hat and the pope was in the church and the pope was in a glass pope mobile going around Central America. So they had all of the trappings of grandeur cathedrals and, 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 and Versailles and palaces. Like, but this, you know, Jeff Bezos, <laughs> he looks like someone who'd be working on your HVAC system on, on a weekend, right? Well, he's a little jacked now, I guess, right? So how the hell can we understand how insanely productive some people are? Enid Blyton, a childhood, uh, an author of children's books, she wrote like, I don't know how many crazy number of books, right? How is it that John Grisham sits down, puts pen to paper, and just walks away with $10 million. And there's lots of people who pound away on keyboards and can't sell a book their entire life. How do I have 700 million views and downloads and other people's channels don't? Or if you want to look at it that way, Joe Rogan just got, what was it, 100 million or something? Some crazy amount of money, right? Some crazy amount of money. So, you know... I am to small channels as Joe Rogan is to me, or you look at Jordan Peterson's book sales. Some people are just valuable to the market. You can talk value. There's no such thing as objective value. All value is subjective. So whatever we like or we don't like, they have value in the market, and they make bank, and they have influence, right? So that's hard to understand and we, we've been wrestling and grappling with this for 150 years and we suck at it we suck at, at explaining this and understanding this right so i mean geez i saw i saw a um a documentary on taylor swift <laughs> okay that's everybody's respect it's important this matters right this is a cultural icon right and she has sadly dipped her idiot left his toe into the deep well of sycophantic Democrat politics, but he signed away the Violence Against Women's Act. That means she's for violence against women. Oh, shut up and sing, Leggy. But um, Taylor Swift's not that smart. (laughs) She's not. I mean, she's a good singer, she's a good songwriter, pretty girl, charismatic performer and all of that, but she's not smart. I mean, she's not well-read, she's not educated that well she's you know she's she's a songbird right very pretty songbird like some of the songs but she's a songbird right i'm better at singing than she is at uh i'm better at her singing than she is at my philosophy but anyway 
how, how is it possible? And, and it's a mystery even to the people who do it, who can produce that kind of value. I mean, do you not think that Freddie Mercury would have written Bohemian Rhapsody every single time instead of that song about his cat called Delilah? That sucks. You run out of inspiration. I mean, even, even Bob Dylan was saying in an interview, he was saying, you know, I did that stuff when I was young. I can't do it now. I can do other things, but I can't do that. Lose the inspiration. I think about that at least once a week. <laughs> um, I can't remember some comedian who gets on a plane. He just wants the pilot to be honest. Hope it don't crash. <laughs> so for me, like I said, I'm live streaming, right? So like I'm on this really on the fly. I like it. I mean, it's great having the conversation with. Um, uh, it's it's nice doing it with the community. It's nice speaking live. It's nice playing live as opposed to just being in a studio. It's more, <clears throat> I mean, I'm talking to someone. I'm not just uh, talking to a camera. But for me, I'm like, don't fuck up. <laughs> don't say anything stupid. Uh, and don't don't run dry. <laughs> Hope you don't run dry. Okay, so we got this big, massive economic disparities that come out of the free market. And... Bugs the shit out of me when I was younger. Jesus H. Mmm. Bugged the shit out of me when I was younger. You know, so I had friends who like had these really calm, happy households with, with swimming pools and people ate noodle salads. <laughs> you know, just nobody in this car, right? So it, it bugged the hell out of me. Why was I stuck in this torture chamber of insanity and violence in my household and other people? Why did I have to get a paper route and get up five o'clock in the morning Saturdays to go and deliver newspapers when other people were like oh, I can't believe I slept in till 10 30 and then I had some eggs benedict that my lovely mother made me and it's just like it bugged the shit out of me and it's like it's unfair it's unfair if I'd got what I wanted and had sting singing voice you <laughs> You'd be seeing me in a stadium right about now. So, it's so horrifyingly unfair. Some people are pretty. Some people have great singing voices. Some people are very musical. They have perfect pitch. They pick up instruments like Sir Richard Burton picked up languages, the explorer, not the actor. Like, it's just, it's just, some people, you know, I, and it's funny too, because because I have, um, I, I do this talky thing, right? So for me, it's more important to have a good speaking voice, a pleasant speaking voice, than it is to have a good singing voice. And a lot of singers don't actually sound that good when they talk because their voice is all kind of pitched for higher stuff, right? So it's bloody unfair. It's horrifying and it's appalling. And it offends our sensibilities. And we envy. And we resent. And, ah, it's a great and deep mystery. Now, of course, with Christianity, there was a salvation for envy. So envy, of course, was one of the seven deadly sins. And a very, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ass or thy neighbor's wife or thy neighbor's wife's ass or thy neighbor's ass's wife. Anyway, so first of all, you made envy a sin. And secondly, it's like, yeah, if it sucks for you now, you do better in heaven. You know, it's better, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So how do you deal with envy in Christianity? Well, it's a sin. You don't focus on the material. And they're going to get theirs because they're going to hell. So that's how you deal with the envy, the resentment, the frustration. I'm so important to myself and nobody else cares about me in the world, right? It's a big shock. It's kind of a shock that we all have to go through, which is where we say, I really, really want this thing. Yeah, the people don't want to give it to you. (laughs) The people don't want to give it to you, right? I mean, I was, I, was, um, I was watching Trump's speech earlier today, and I'm like, boy, I wonder if I could ever get those kinds of live stream numbers. I know what. Incredibly long shows with more tangents. <laughs> That's going to solve it. No problem. Lickety split. Lickety split. So that's the problem. It drives us insane. It drives us insane. And when Christianity lost its hold on Western, on, on the Western mind. Because material success, right? In the Christian model, material success can be pretty bad for you. It's a temptation of the devil, right? The, the, the world is run by the devil and you've got to escape this veil of tears to get to, to heaven. So that's one thing. But the other thing too is that, well, we all have the soul, we all have the same capacity to get into heaven. So there's an egalitarianism in the Christian model that does not exist in the capitalist model. In the capitalist model, some people rise like rockets and some people just sink like medieval mastodons into a tar pit of circumstance, right? So it drives us kind of nuts. It drives us nuts. And I get it. We sit there and don't you, don't you envy? Come on, there's got to be people. You tell me in this chat. You tell me in this chat. You open up to daddy. You tell me in this chat. Who do you envy? Who do you envy? Tell me. You're anonymous. Tell me. Give it up. Veronica. I don't know who that is. (laughs) Maybe there's a slight delay here. Jason Momoa. I envy Trump. Elon Musk. Come on, that guy's super cool. Julius Caesar. Yeah, I mean, he invented a salad, for God's sakes. Chad, you. You envy me? Oh, I appreciate that. Jenna Marbles. Why does that seem familiar? Youth. I envy youth. (laughs) I envy... uh, I don't envy anyone. I envy Kanye West. He's got to live with Kim Kardashian. But yeah, Kanye is super cool, right? I envy the Minecraft guy. Steve. What is it the villagers say? I envy people who have a house that's not a starter house. People with a ton of energy. Uh, I envy Navy SEALs. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. You envy Joe Rogan. It's a pretty sweet life, right? Emily Dickinson. Oh, the poet. You envy Dolly Parton. <laughs> was that one of the first jokes I ever heard when I was a kid? Why are Dolly Parton's feet so small? Because nothing grows in the shade. Pavarotti. Oh, that voice, eh? And, and the, a good reason to keep people at, at a distance even before coronavirus, right? Uh, da Vinci. Oh, yeah. Do you know Da Vinci died saying he wished he'd done more good with his... Uh, sorry. Ooh, thought my table there. He said he, he died actually wishing he'd done more good with his um, talents. Um... Uh, you envy Jesus Christ? You envy Einstein? Hmm. You know, it's good to be the model for the eyes of Yoda, right? You envy the Cohen brothers, George Costanza, William Randolph Hearst? I envy those without student debt. I envy my friend who's about to have a son. You envy the Apostle Paul's boldness? You en- envy Alexander the Great? Well, come on, with that surname, he was bound to be great, right? You envy Thomas Edison? You envy anybody who's truly happy? 
You envy people who have basic health. I'm so sorry. I sympathize. I really sympathize. Uh, you envy Sam Hyde. You envy your dog. Do you know, I, I used to fantasize about being a dog when I first moved to um, Canada. We lived with my crazy uncle who had a lovely collie dog who just lie there in the sun and, you know, twitched dreaming of rabbits. And I was like, I hated school and I hated being in Canada. And I was just like, man, I, I really wish I was a dog. <laughs> my really life is a dog. I wish I was a dog. Vanity is my favorite sin. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, you envy maybe me. I appreciate that. Thank you. Candace Owens' husband. Oh, yeah, she would. She's a great, she's a great woman, a great woman. You want uh, Steph to sing some Queen songs? Uh, where is it now? You know, it's funny. I've lost a little bit of my voice because I got a tooth drilled out from up here because it was ankylosed, and uh, it's given me a bit of a droop here, and I've lost a little bit of control over the old vocals. But, yeah, I'll get around to it, I'm sure. Down Bilzarian. Kate Beckinsale's, Beckinsale's underwear. <laughs> well, hopefully not too, uh, not too, uh, uh, not too, uh, not, not when it's too old. Mark Zuckerberg, all that power. Noel Gallagher, hmm. Garfield, guys with uh, GTRS, I don't know what that means. Andrea Bocelli, oh yeah, a great singer, right? David Gilmore, yeah, be able to do those guitar licks would be something else, right? I envy, I envy people with a virtuous wife and kids, so basically Steph and don't we all. Oh, thank you. I am reading, sorry, I've just got a bunch of chats up at the moment. But come on, we, we all. You envy Jordan Peterson? I think that was a little easier to do a couple of months ago. Uh, I envy my trust fund friends. Oh, yeah, man, there was this guy. Oh, I still remember his name, but people didn't ask for me to be famous and know me 30 years ago. This guy, super good looking, and I used to envy guys with great hair. And he was super good looking, and he, he got this. His family bought this house, and he had a room that I just loved. He had a room. It was one of these slanting, ceilinged, half-triangles, attic rooms. So cozy, so cool. He was like the coolest guy around. He was the coolest guy around. So, yeah, you envy Orson Welles? Yeah, before he got fatter. Anyone with a decent-looking girlfriend? You envy your left hand? <laughs> uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, it's bad knees, but yeah, pretty good life, right? I envy Linus Torvalds' code runs everywhere. You envy the dead? Oh, well, sorry to hear that. <laughs> really, yeah. Uh, I envy kids free to eat and sleep and worry-free. Oh, uh, yeah, about daycare and school, right? You envy the metal pole at the local, local exotic dancing establishment. <laughs> Please go and watch yourself, I beg you. You envy cats? Yeah, pretty. You envy those who don't envy? Yeah, see, we all, right? We all have these envy your young Brad Pitt? Yeah, because everybody wants that waspy waist ab thing, right? You envy anybody who's never had a guardianship put on them? I'm sorry about that. I envy a mate of mine who gets heaps of pussy. Nah, but he's just making bitter broken women, right? It's going to hit his, uh, he's going to hit his conscience at some point, I'm telling you. You envy Izzy? Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. You envy people with fishing shows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, you envy Michael Hutchins of NXS. What a shitty way to go, though, eh? Talk about your great-grandfather, William Molyneux. I've got a whole show on that. All right, so, so here's the point. Yeah, we, we envy, right? We envy now. Envy can be a, an amazing thing. It can be a jetpack. I envied the people. I remember, like, I, I, did, a, um, I did a network installation and, and a computer setup for a guy in his home office, 
And he had this big, beautiful house, nice family and all of that. And I said, it's a beautiful place you got going on here. And I was just starting out. And he's like, yes, God has been good to me. He's very Christian. He said, yes, God has been good to me. I'm like, why wasn't God good to me? Exactly. Why wasn't God good to me? And that's a big question, right? Why am I not getting what other people are getting? And listen, we've all seen these shows, right? These um, talent shows, right? Someone comes out and they start singing and they sound terrible. And you think, like, why hasn't anyone told them? They think they're good. They, they, they say, hey, do you think you can win this competition? They're like, sure. Is this the real? Like, they just sing, ter- they sound terrible, right? And they think they sound good and they get really angry at Simon or whoever, right? Like, because they're like, sorry, you, this, this ain't you, dog. This is not your thing, dog. And you envy Stephen Crowder. Yeah, pretty cool life too, right? So that envy thing is a big thing, right? How do, how do we explain it? How do we explain, like, look at wolves, right? I mean, are there wolves who were like, you went and got one rabbit, I came back with 10,000? And, and we, of course, know these people in a way that we didn't know before, right? So you think of some tribe with like 50 people. Yeah, there's going to be people who are better at hunting, but they don't come back with 50 deer instead of one, right? They might get a deer twice as often, which is great, right? But we don't have that crazy disparity. We don't, we're not evolved to handle these crazy disparities because they weren't around throughout most of our evolution when we lived in these small isolated tribes or villages or farming communities or you name it. Plus, there really wasn't that incentive to be really, really great at hunting, right? Like, you know that, um, shit, what's that movie where the guy goes and starves to death in a bus in the Arctic, in Alaska? Like, he, he gets a whole bunch of food, but he can't keep it because he doesn't have a fridge, right? So there was, it wasn't even that much point being a perfectly great hunter in the past because you couldn't even keep the food if you got excess food, right? You just end up with fly fly shit and, and, and eggs in it, right? So we're not equipped to handle these wild extremities that occur in our life. I mean, I still remember her name. Ooh, first name Shelley. There was this girl who was like the total queen of my junior high school. Total queen. Like, like it wasn't even like there wasn't even a close second. Total queen. Like she was just Everybody wanted to date her. Most of the guys were too chicken to ask her out. I did. I asked her out. And she said no. But I'm so glad I did. So we're just, we're not equipped. We're not equipped. And of course, where there was the hot guy, the hot girl, they'd get snapped up in their late teens and get married. And that was it, right? You couldn't, right? It was now a sin to, right? So we, we, we can't handle this massive inequality that we got going on here. And we, we, we struggle to try and explain it. And the God explanation for political disparities and inequality or political inequality, that's gone. So what do we have? How do we explain the robber barons as they're so-called? How do we explain Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Steve Jobs? And how do we explain these people? Now, there's two explanations. One is allowed and one is not. The allowed one is exploitation. So the communists come along and say, why does that guy have $10 million? Because he stole $10 from a million people. Boom. Done. And people are like, oh, shit. 
He's got more than me because he's worse than me. Woo! Thank God now I can go get stuff back from him. <laughs> right? It's a huge relief. It answers that question and rebalances everyone's vanity. The tall poppy syndrome, it's the nail that sticks up that gets hammered down. So the people who excel, like, oh man, you, you want to you wanna talk about an ambivalent thing in society? Look how much I've succeeded in bringing philosophy to the world. I'm like one of the most loved and hated people on the planet. One of the most loved and hated people on the planet. In the people who know of me, right? So success is a very complicated thing. You succeed and people don't like it. Because especially the more you succeed, the more disparity there is, the more you dislike it, right? Now, well, the more people are going to have issues with you and it's, it's a challenge, right? So, oh my gosh. When you start to get the vast disparities of wealth that came out of the agricultural revolution, that came out of the industrial revolution, it's one thing if you say, well, there's a lord there that God put there. I'm not the fruit of his loins, and so I can't be a lord. But if everybody has this opportunity in the free market and only some people become super rich, some people, a lot of people become middle class, a lot of people stay poor, and there's this churn. Of course, there wasn't much of a churn at the beginning because everyone was just starting out. But it's like, oh, my God, how, how can I explain it? And so the Marxists come along and they say, well, we know, we know what's going on. We know that guy's rich. Guy's rich because he stole from everyone, because he exploited, because he's underpaying his workers. Because he's a cold, sociopathic, nasty son of a bitch who bangs his employees. Because, you know, Karl Marx was all about projection. Who was Karl Marx? A cold, sociopathic son of a bitch who banged his employee. Banged his maid, threw it out on the street, and refused to acknowledge his son. I always remember that George Orwell's adopted son ended up, I think, selling agricultural products in the Shetland Islands. <laughs> it's a lonely, godforsaken place to be. But anyway... Into the Wild. Thank you. That's the movie. So Marxism came along ahead of the other explanation. Now, the other explanation is, is, is twofold. It's causality and effect, right? So the effect is simple. So why... Um, I, I know that there's lots of interferences in the free market, but let's just pretend for a moment and say, okay, why is Elon Musk so, why does he have so much money? He has so much money because people believe that he provides so much value. Why is it that Freddie Mercury was so wealthy? Because he provided so much value to people, Mu music that they liked, uh, concerts, and the guy was, a, what, he was the best front man in history, like no doubt, no question, the best front man in history. And I've I really, I studied him and I studied him and I really try to figure out how to connect with an audience in the way that he did and have a conversation and so on, right? So the answer, why did Bill Gates have so much money? Well, because Bill Gates uh, provides a lot of value to people. It, it's kind of cool to have an operating system that's common to everyone so that people can build for it and you get lots of apps and all that kind of stuff, right? So there were some accidents. His father was a patent lawyer. IBM made some mistakes and opened up the architecture in the way that uh, Wozniak and Jobs didn't. And I go, but whatever, whatever, whatever. Why does he have so much money? Because he provides a huge amount of value. Why does Mark Zuckerberg have a lot of money? Because people want to envy each other's fruit salads on Facebook and 
whatever, right? And and the occasional white woman posts a picture of the rare baby or whatever, right? So, so that is why people are so rich, because they provide value to other people. Now, the question is then, okay, well, why can't I go out and provide value to other people, right? That's tough, because we are all a hero in our own life, yet we are generally insignificant to the world. That's tough. Now, Christianity solved that by saying, hey, man, we know you're a hero in your own life. You might be invisible to the world, but God loves you and Jesus loves you. So you're special to God. But we don't have that anymore. Now the only way we can feel special is to be rich or famous or beautiful or wanted or desired or envied. We don't have that relationship with God who makes us special regardless of the indifference of the world. You get it? It's tough. And so envy, envy is churning away at us. Churning away at us. I, uh, I mean, I was a good-looking kid, right? So I was scouted for modeling and stuff like that, and I, I got into it, and it was like, mm, no, 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 bad life, bad life, <laughs> even though it was very tempting, right? And I didn't, obviously didn't really do much of anything in that field, but it was, um, you know, people look at the supermodels, and Linda Evangelista, whatever her name was, said, oh, I don't even get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. And and we're all fascinated by the dark side of celebrity. Like, you, you see these, uh, the YouTubers who are like... Uh, Oh, I'm so depressed, and I've got to put out so much content, and it's so stressful, and I get burned out, and it's like it's tough. Everybody thinks everybody else has an easy life, like that old cartoon, one guy, two guys in a bar, one of them turns to the other and says, hey, how's your life going? He says, the other guy says, it's not bad, it's just, I wish it was, it's just still not Sting's life, right? Sting was told about that, and he's like, I don't know, I have my own trouble, I have my own, Sting's accountant stole a huge amount of money from him, and he had to chase him off to court, and... Anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But so that's the big question. And Marxism says theft, exploitation, and so on, right? And so the effect is, well, you're just providing value. But that's a way of measuring the effect rather than stating the cause. And the closest thing that we have to figuring out why people become wealthy is IQ. Intelligence quotient. That is... The closest that we have, the closest thing that we have to being able to explain why people become wealthy is IQ. That is the reality of the situation. That is the alternate explanation as to why people become wealthy. And this is why the Marxists hate it. This is why the leftists hate it. It's a direct competing. It is a direct competition to the IQ, sorry, to the exploitation argument, right? How are we going to figure this out? So I'll read a little bit here, just so you get a little bit of background. The first IQ test developed by French psychologist Alfred Binet. I think his brother Binet invented a drinking fountain to help stream disruptive children into different classes. It was imported in 1916 by Stanford psychologist Louis Terman. 
1917, which was the height of World War I, the U.S. government recruited Terman to help develop the Army Alpha, an IQ test administered to nearly 2 million drafted men. So this would figure out whether you were shipped to the front lines or whether you went to the elite officer class, right? This was to, to try and figure out how to make the best use of that, right? IQ tests measure academic abilities. The best-known IQ battery, the Stanford Binet 5, measures fluid reasoning, knowledge, quantitative reasoning, visual spatial processing, and working memory. These skills are collectively known as symbolic logic and form the components of the general intelligence, or G. Sorry, one sec. IQ tests do not measure creativity, emotional intelligence, or work ethic. That's sort of around conscientiousness, one of the big five personality traits, right? But emotional intelligence hasn't proven to have any significant predictive value when it comes to academic or work performance after controlling for both cognitive ability and the big five personality tests, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So, yeah, just remember everyone says, well, you know, IQ is not all that matters. There's EQ, emotional intelligence. Nah, that's just a consolation prize for people who don't get much IQ to think that they, right? Everybody wants to feel like they have value, and I sympathize with that. It's not a perfectly valuable and valid thing to say. So IQ doesn't measure any kind of fixed or immutable intelligence, but the basic fact is intelligence is one of the most stable traits that we know of in the world. So just a little bit more background here, because this is, sorry, very, very important stuff. So the differentiation between IQ and G, G stands for general intelligence, IQ is more specific areas. So English psychologist Charles Spearman first described the existence of general intelligence in 1904. And he said, you know, the kids who do well in one area of the IQ test tend to do well in other areas as well. This led him to theorize that a general capacity to learn and reason underlies performance in all cognitive tests. Like, I mean, if you're a really good athlete, you're probably going to be good at other sports as well because, you know, you've got fast muscles, you've got good reflexes, you've got great body control and so on. So this is why some people go from like, it's kind of traditional that hockey players in the winter uh, do uh, golf and maybe tennis in the summer and so on. And they're good at both, right? So IQ tests involve many different subtests, but IQ and G are used interchangeably, but they're not the exact same thing. One's IQ score is a very good but not perfect approximation of one's general intellectual ability, or G. So there are five components of general intelligence, and both verbal and nonverbal responses are measured. So there's visual spatial processing involving abilities like solving puzzles, filling in patterns, quantitative reasoning, the capacity to solve numerical problems, knowledge involves drawing upon a person's stock of information on a wide range of topics, Fluid reasoning, the ability to think flexibly and solve usually abstract problems where no prior knowledge is required, making it the most general cognitive ability. And working memory involves the use of short-term memory. Now, people say, well, knowledge is kind of unfair, drawing upon a person's stock of information on a wide range of topics. But it is kind of fair because smart people like to read. They like to learn. They're curious. I mean, I spent half my childhood working and half my childhood in the library. And, you know, they're really not uh, they're really not super complicated, these things, right? And uh, I can put out a couple of examples um, if you like, but they really are not not that, uh, right? So the way that you work it out, so you get these raw individual test scores and they're converted. So they correlate perfectly to a bell curve representing the entire population of same age test participants. So an IQ score of 100, which is the white norm, means 50% of the people in your age group scored better and 50% scored worse, right? 
So if it's 1,000 people, 500 did better and about 500 did worse. An IQ score of 85 means that 84.13% of the people in your age group scored better and 15.87% scored worse. An IQ score of 130 means that 2.28% of the people in your age group scored better, 97.72% scored worse, right? So that's kind of how it works. Um, Heritability is a a big deal when it comes to kids, right? Um, How much genetic variation contributes to observable variations in a trait is measured by the statistic called heritability. It ranges from zero, like nothing, to one, which is like, all of it, right? So this is the percentage of variation, such as in IQ, that is due to variation in genes. And, you know, twin studies, adoption studies are commonly used to determine this. So child studies find the heritability of IQ is about 0.5. This means that half of the variation in IQ among children studied resulted from variation in their genes. The remaining half was thus due to environmental variation and measurement error. Studies on adults show that they have a higher heritability of IQ than children. The heritability has been measured as 0.8 by late teens. The American Psychological Association 1995 Task Force concluded the heritability of IQ within the white population is about 0.75. In a sample of American siblings in 1997, it found that the inequality in education and income was predominantly due to genes. Shared environmental factors played a subordinate role. There's only so much that you can do when it comes to that, right? So the heritability of IQ is less than 100%. Therefore, the IQ of children tends to regress towards the mean IQ of the population. High IQ parents tend to have children who are less bright, while low IQ parents tend to have children who are brighter than their parents, right? So if the heritability of IQ, we clock it around 50%, a couple from a population with a median IQ of 100, who have an average IQ of 120, may have children that average around an IQ 110, right? So this regression towards the mean of the population, this is one of the reasons why immigration is a big challenge. Because if you have a generally low IQ haplogroup or population, then the smarter people who come, their kids probably aren't going to do as well. And that's just one of these really, really tragic things to to realize about all of this, right? So it's incredibly, insanely predictive about a lot of things. It's insanely predictive about a lot of things. I, I'll just give you a couple of them, right? So if you look at, if you've had an illegitimate baby, right? So if you've had a baby out of wedlock, If you have an IQ of less than 75, 32%, right? If you have an IQ above 125, it's less than 1%. If you live in poverty, 30% less than 75, 2% greater than 125 IQ. Chronic welfare recipient, less than 75, 31%. 75 to 90 IQ, 17%, 90 to 110, 8%, 110 to 125, 2%, greater than 125, less than 1%. Are you a high school dropout? 55 less than 75 IQ, 75 to 90 is 35%. 90 to 110 is 6. 110 to 125 is 0.4. Greater than 125 is less than 0.4. And 
have you ever been incarcerated? Right? So less than 75 to an IQ of 90, 7%. And it goes down, 90 to 110, 3%, 110 to 125, 1%. Greater than 125, you're less than 1% chance of ever being incarcerated. So it, it matters. Like you, Again, you can't predict things for individuals, but you sure as heck can look. So those with low IQ scores are, are more prone to welfare dependency. IQ 75 to 80 is the threshold where individuals risk being unemployable in the modern economy. An IQ below 80 to 83 indicates they're unlikely to benefit from any formalized workplace training. The U.S. military is prohibited from enlisting recruits with an IQ below 80. Failure rates are too high to justify the training costs. For the average person in the middle 50% of the bell curve, IQ 91 to 110, you can do mid-level jobs. You can be a clerk, skilled trade person, insurance sales representative for the top 5% of the population. IQ of 125 or greater, intelligence requirements for all occupations are met. And it really matters. Men with higher IQs are more likely to be married and stay married longer. And verbal intelligence is really, really key to marriage. Mathematics skill doesn't make any, any difference, right? Ooh. IQ and health. A 2010 Swedish longitudinal study, a million men taking an intelligence test for army conscription purposes were followed up with for mental disorders. The risk of hospital admissions for all categories of mental disorders was correlated with lower IQ score. Lower IQ score means higher risk for hospitalization for all categories of mental disorder. You know this idea of the crazy genius? It does not uh, fit with the data. Again, it's just one of these things where the envy kind of sits in, right? Higher IQ can partially account for why some children are more resilient than others when faced with deprivation or abuse, right? They're called bulletproof. They're called the wonder kids. They can just get through just about anything. And a lot of that has to do with IQ. IQ predicts the risk of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and alcohol abuse and dependence. Adults who scored higher on IQ tests in childhood lived longer, had fewer total hospital admissions, and were less likely to develop coronary heart disease or high blood pressure. Because as the population's IQ falls, which is happening in America, it's happening other places in the West, as the IQ population says, oh my gosh, these healthcare costs are going through the roof. And that's because the lower IQ, the less you, long you're going to live, the more you're going to go be in, into hospital, the more heart disease, high blood pressure, and diabetes, and all these other things. There is a long, you know, this um, beautiful mind thing. Everything's programming, right? There's a myth that people who suffer from OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, have higher IQ scores. Not true. 2018 meta-analytical study found that, quote, OCD is not associated with superior IQ, but with normative IQ that is slightly lower compared to control samples. So, a Swedish study surveyed 50,000 men that completed this IQ test as part of military conscription between 69 and 71. Those with lower IQ scores consumed heavier, riskier amounts of alcohol. So, general intelligence is the best predictor of job performance. I found this out when I was a manager, I just, I created my own intelligence test and gave it to people and it almost completely solved hiring issues. So uh, there's a measure between the correlation between a score, this is cognitive ability, 
This is the pencil and paper test, an outcome. So job performance measured by supervisor ratings, promotions, training, success, tenure. So listen to this, guys. Blow your mind. The predictive value of cognitive ability for job performance increases with job complexity. So cognitive ability is only correlated with success in unskilled jobs at 0.2. What do you think it is for the most complex jobs? 0.8. Cognitive ability tests correlate with success in your job performance for the most complex jobs at 0.8. That's about as perfect a correlation as you can possibly get. So, of course, companies have a strong incentive to use cognitive ability tests to select and promote employees, but it's virtually outlawed in the West. IQ has an incredible value in economic terms, and it doesn't seem to have diminishing returns at the highest levels. IQ continues to confer significant benefits even at very high levels. Ability and performance for jobs are related linearly. At every IQ level, increases in IQ translate into a concomitant increase in performance. And I'll put all the sources to this below. But political correctness says you can't use blind cognitive tests to hire or promote employees, right? So, IQ, IQ, it's IQ. I don't know what else to tell you. It's not, um, it's not exploitation. It's, uh, not theft, it's not predation, it's not, it's, it's IQ. That's standout best 100 years worth of data, it's IQ. And IQs vary by ethnicity. I mean, you, you can talk about the, um, the pygmies, they got an IQ average about 57, all the way to verbal skills in the Ashkenazi Jew population or Jewish population uh, clocking in in the one teens. East Asians in particular with uh, verbal, uh, sorry, with um, spatial reasoning very high and uh, East Asians uh, clock above whites, uh, one, 104, 105, 106. Whites again averaging at 100. And uh, Hispanics in the high 80s, American blacks in the mid 80s. Uh, blacks in Africa lower, and again, all the way down to the bottom. I think the lowest recorded are around uh, in the, the, the pygmies and so on, right? These are just tragic, challenging, difficult facts that we can continue to ignore and, and at our peril, right? So that is, and again, there are really dumb Jewish people, and there are incredibly smart blacks, and there are Asians who are very bad at <laughs> spatial reasoning, and there are uh, really dumb whites. And I mean, again, individuals never, ever, ever, right? Don't judge any individuals by group averages, but group averages do matter in a meritocracy. And that's the conversation that's just not allowed. And the suffering will continue to increase until we can have a conversation about this. I have a huge amount of sympathy 
to people who are born with ill health. I have a huge amount of sympathy to people who are born into abusive households. I have a huge amount of sympathy to people who are born with cleft palates and people and and people like happiness is not specifically correlated with IQ. You can have a wonderful life with lower IQ. Doesn't mean you got to be unhappy. It's not doesn't seem to have much correlation in terms of happiness, right? But These are facts we're just not allowed to talk about. And I get in trouble for talking about it, but I love you guys. I love the world. I love civilization. I love society. I love the truth. And people say, oh, why would you want to talk about this stuff? It's because we're all tortured by group differences in outcome. We're all tortured by group differences in outcome. And the standard answer from the left has been white racism. Why is the third world poor? Well, there are answers that involve IQ. It's not 100%. There's dietary issues. There's cultural issues. There's cousin marriage. There's a bunch of stuff, right? But why is the third world poor? Well, the only answer, of course, is, well, because uh, white people stole all the resources. Like, nobody else ever stole resources throughout history until white people came along. It was just Shangri-La, right? All just milk and honey and, and Eden and all that, right? Because it's a dangerous answer to see if there are group differences in outcomes. Whether it's criminality, whether it's income, whether it's stability, whether it's whatever. If there are group differences in outcome, if the only answer is white racism, we have a problem. We have a big freaking problem that's heading our way. It's not the true answer. Are there white racists? Sure there are. Are there racists? Uh, are racist? Yeah. In fact, white countries are the least racist countries on earth by statistics, by measures, by all the data that's there. Ah, oh, it's crazy. So, yeah, I, I have a lot... Of, there are people who, um, of every ethnicity and, and so on, and there are also differences between males and females as well, which are not insignificant. So why are there riots? There are riots for a variety of reasons. The welfare state is a big problem because with the welfare state, people who are less intelligent of every race have a greater incentive to have more children rather than a job. Because when you don't have a lot of a high IQ, jobs tend to not be that exciting, not that interesting, not that involving and so on, right? So that's a big issue. And if you're going to say, you know, single moms have an average IQ in the 90s, uh, and not the high 90s either. And so, unfortunately, it's a eugenics program. Well, dysgenics technically, and it's horrible. It's a horrible government program. The redistribution of wealth by the guns of the state is a terrible, terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. And that's one of the issues. The government, of course, also we know that boys in particular raised without, well, girls raised without fathers tend to be more promiscuous, and boys raised without fathers tend to be slightly more criminal, and that has an effect as well. And there are disasters within certain communities. And if we're not allowed to talk about anything except white oppression, white racism, history of this, that, or the other, things are just going to keep getting worse until we are allowed to have sensible, intelligent, compassionate, compassionate discussions 
about these things. I say all of this with deep love in my heart, deep sympathy in my heart, and a desperate desire for all of us to be able to get along better. But we can only meet in the truth. We can only meet in reality. We can only meet in facts. The superstition of the left is that all disparities result from prejudice and bigotry and hatred. And it sows divisions that cannot be healed. It, it, it helps us all. I'm not saying it's easy, but screaming it down is... Suffering increases until the truth is accepted. Always. Always. So, it's not a valuing people... Of course, valuing people based on IQ. But it's not valuing people existentially. It's not... It's not that people have different... Certainly, everybody should have equality under the law. It, it's not about valuing people in some, oh, you're a better person because you have higher IQ. That's not the case at all. It's not true at all. In fact, some people who are high IQ are very bad people, and some people who have lower IQ are very good and decent people. Great people, in fact. So it's not any kind of existential, you have value or don't have value as a human being. Nothing like that. It's just that... If you're looking for a lead singer, the quality of the voice matters. You say, oh, well, if you, don't have a, if you don't have a good singing voice, that means you're not valuable as a human being. It's like, no, nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that at all. <laughs> I wonder what Jesus' IQ was. Very, very high. Where are the sources? I will put them, I will put them around. I will put them in the, in the video. So... It's important. And I do sometimes wonder if countries didn't sort of develop around IQ lines. I don't know. I mean, there's certainly reasons for it because the envy and rage and frustration can just be enormous. Enormous. All right. It's been two and a half hours. It's been great chat. Get this off my, uh, off my list of things to do and to talk about. Again, I know people are upset by it. I, I don't want to upset everybody. I want us to get along you know we're all in this together we nobody's going back to the corners neither should they but we all got to find ways to get along and, and you know the the leftists the communists uh, I, I saw this in china you can see this on my documentary in hong kong the history of of the takeover in china they just sowed hatred against each other right so you know the blacks are taught to hate the whites the whites now fear the blacks i mean this is not going to work it's going to be what is it's not designed to work, right? The way that the, the divisions are being sown and split and all of that, it's designed to have us at each other's throats as we get ground under totalitarianism. It's not good. It's not good. So it is It is with love and with positivity and with hope and with a sincere and passionate desire for us to all get along that I speak about these things. Uh, I did talk about the independent autopsy at the beginning. You'll have to rewind. All right. Any uh, other... Keep listening to Steph, but keep thinking for yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so Sovereign Border says, I guess some people are very productive, high IQ, etc. So why does government uh, make starting a business for entrepreneurs so onerous and provide socialism for the rich? Because the government and the corporations, the government, the rich are hand in glove. Uh, you can't, you know, if, if Tim Cooks wants, wants to call Trump or, or 
Joe Biden, that call goes through. You and I don't get those calls, right? Have you ever felt that you were swimming against the flow? No, never. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, as, as far as, you know, low IQ people in society, I mean, yeah, they're on welfare and so on. I think, I think that if we have a, a better understanding of all of this stuff and we can talk about it and, and all of that, I, I'm very ha- – listen, I'm very happy to help. I'm happy to donate time, energy, resources, money to help people uh, who can't make a go of it in the modern society. It's not their fault. We should absolutely have compassion and, and sympathy and understanding and love for people who, through no fault of their own, again, given the genetics, given the history, no, it's not their fault. It's not something that they should be blamed for. It's not something that, that is a cause of hatred. It's, it's sympathy. We've we got to love each other. We've got to care for each other. But if we ignore some of these basic facts, we're just going to end up hating each other, and it's going to go very, very badly, very badly indeed. There's no reason why we can't all talk about things and get along. Uh, how do we test our IQ without paying for it? Now you need to have a test by a professional. There is nothing online stuff is mostly garbage. So, hey Steph, would you have, would you have hired a person with an IQ of 125 in your company? Absolutely, higher IQ the better, at least for all of that stuff, right? So. Uh, thanks for the stream. How can I help? Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Come on, you know nobody else is talking about this kind of stuff, right? And, and we need to. We need to. Like all these people like Sam Harris and so on, like, well, we can't talk about it. It's bad. We shouldn't talk about it. I know we had the conversation with Murray, but what's the point of talking about it? It's like, you know, everybody who's been suppressing this conversation, man, you guys own the riots. You own the riots. You own the riots. I can't believe people actually value IQ. It means nothing. I absolutely have complete and total sympathy as to why you think that. I really, really understand. Really, really understand. All right. I'm going to uh, close things off. A nice, long, juicy live stream. A very, very great pleasure. Uh, Thank you, of course, uh, to everyone who has uh, been coming by and chatting. It's great to uh, see everyone. Uh, it is a great pleasure to uh, to chat with you, and uh, you can go to fdrpodcast.com to subscribe to me um, for free, obviously, just for the podcasts. If you've got anyone who would be fun for me to debate, to debate please uh, try and set it up and let me know. I love you guys so much, and um, we, will, we will get there. The truth will prevail, and we will get there. We have this incredible opportunity to bring truth and love virtue, happiness, and peace to the world. All we need is the courage to get there. And as a community, we can. We can, and we will. So thanks, everyone, so much. Have yourselves a great night. I appreciate your patience, so many thousands of people, for such a long conversation. My love goes out to you all. Please help me out at freedomain.com forward slash donate. Lots of love, of course. I'll talk to you soon.